Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy, your host. This is a podcast about the things that distract me on a daily basis, often causing me to be in a full-blown sprint to my destination. Be There in Five is the namesake company of my original remind doormat business where I painted things like turn off your straightener and turn off your curling iron on doormats, put them upside down because I don't think mats should just welcome guests in your home. You're the one that lives there. They should remind you of things on your way out, like don't burn your house down. That was several years ago. I then, uh, you know, made a brief retirement from the flooring biz, shifted my focus to trying to do more in the writing and commentary realm by starting this podcast and writing a book. And um, now, for by some stroke of luck, I'm allowed to come on here every week and for two hours just talk to you about things like things that are embarrassing for no reason, like getting out of a public pool. God bless you for returning. I actually am bringing back the Be There in Five original Remind mats that have like the, you know, some of the original staples plus some new things that are mask and COVID related to keep your home safe. Um, plus, um, you know, making fun of doormats that have come out since I was in the mat biz that I hate. Uh, they'll be for sale during my live show next week called Bar Cart Sports. A lot less to do with Barstool, honestly, and more to do with how much I like bar carts, but I figured why not, you know, do a light parody of something that is wildly popular in my ever-present quest to be more popular, yet... I don't really know how to do that. with like Because I feel like the popular people are always involved in scandals. Like, all anyone ever talks about is freaking Danielle Burdenstein. And all she ever does is, like, rip off uh, smaller designers. And I, I'm just like, uh, it never affects her. She we, we, she gets all the press and none of the consequence. She's she's on TikTok. Like, honestly, you can say what you want about her, but the bravery of Danielle Bernstein to get on TikTok. Gen Z ripped her a new one and she had to turn off comments. I'm like, why even be on here? I just went like, honestly, she should start a podcast and just like outside of published, like, I mean, polished PR policies and like, I don't know, iPhone notes apologies. Like just freaking tell us what's going on. Like, what are you doing? Like what, why do you keep doing this? She she should call it Berenstein Bears and just bear her soul and tell us like who she is and why the hell she keeps ripping people off and like how a person could even tolerate this much bad press and keep going. Like I'm almost impressed by how she, you know, chugs along because I would have been taken down, you know, by number two of 16 diet Prada posts. But I don't know. It's it's fascinating. It, 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 the popularity is a funny thing that is so fueled by scandal that people don't even realize how in an attempt to cancel or take down, they're just stoking the flames of somebody's popularity. But what are you going to do? But what was I saying? Oh, yeah. Uh, no, bar card sports is just a, it's kind of a joke because... Um, well, I did that four-hour deep dive on the Call Our Daddy drama, and I just feel like, I don't know, I find Barstool to be like a comically uh, ubiquitous thing that in some ways is deeply problematic. In a business sense, is pretty impressive. They do have a female CEO that I don't know a ton about, but, I mean, that's great. Uh, and my thing is always like, say what you want to say about anything, but like, your sentiment doesn't deny popularity. And like in women's podcasting, like call her daddy was and is huge. So I kind of made a joke of it, calling myself call her chatty as I did in the deep dive episode I did, because, 
you know, the sexiest joke I've told in recent years was last week, and I just read somebody that tweeted this and quoted me, which, you know, who lives, who dies, who tells your story, where I compared bowling without bumpers to raw dogging it, a thing I don't really remember saying. <laughs> it's, it's hard to be so, so saucy. What can I say? But yeah, so Barkhart Sports is next Thursday. The, by the time the next podcast comes out, the live show will have already happened. I'll probably put out the next podcast the Friday after and like just have the Thursday show like kind of count for filling in this space for that day. Um, it's at 9.05 EST, 8.05 CST, 6.05 PST, which is kind of early for Pacific time on a Thursday. I do apologize, but it will be up for 24 hours at least after the show. And depending on if I like it or not, I'll keep it up longer. The price goes up the day of, I think, to like $20, and now it's at $15. If you were on Patreon, the first day they went for sale, you should have gotten a code. If you live in Texas and you were not able to get your Patreon code and you are a Patreon subscriber, please email me at podcast2bethereon5.com because that was kind of in the height of when you guys were going through a lot with um, weather and infrastructure, and I do not want you to be penalized for not having internet. My God. Um, I hope everybody's doing okay in Texas, by the way. So anyway... Yeah, it's going to be really fun. I have like a lot of different bits and videos and like silly things and we're going to launch merch and there's this like Pete like kind of emblem of like merch that I've been working on for a long time. I'm excited to share with you guys and remind our mats will be on sale for a brief time in revisiting the supply chain and setup of said remind our mats. I am reminded why I left the business. So I do not know how long I will keep them up for sale, but I ordered a finite amount of blanks and reset up with a supplier and uh, we will sell those until we run out. And as you know, we've previously fired our merch partner and have been working on rebuilding that. And the previous one I used, one of the reasons I picked them is because I hate when people are constantly running out of stock and they're like forcing urgency on you. I don't like that sales strategy. And there's a lot of companies that don't require that. The problem is, is that the companies that kind of tap into drop ship from a you know vast network of printers also typically have the infrastructure where you don't have a lot of control over what the company endorses creatively which is why i left teespring in the first place and uh so all that to say we're figuring it out i don't know quantity wise what'll be there i don't know if things will sell out or if people care but if you are at the show you will get first dibs we will drop the url and stuff um toward the end of the show and give you like a password or whatever. So it should be really fun. So go to onlocationlive.com slash be there in five. It's also in the show notes, onlocationlive.com slash be there in five. The flyer on my Instagram is wrong. So anyway, so today, like last week, I kept promising we go through some of the crowdsource things that are embarrassing for no reason. I just can't decide if this is like a fun enough concept to anchor a whole episode because it's kind of going to be just me rambling through little things and complaining about minutiae for the sake of exaggeration in the bit and then I worry people think I'm honestly this neurotic or complainy but I just like to really it's like if I'm going to go into something let's just go into it and analyze it in you know exhaustive detail right you know to be the, to be there in five of it all doesn't mean we skim things quickly it means we're late because we go into such detail uh so we're going to go through some of the things that you guys submitted as embarrassing for no reason because they're just really fun to analyze and oh yeah the um Friggin' Meghan Markle interview on Sunday. I am so excited. I don't know if I'll have time. I don't know. I don't know what I'll have time for. But hopefully I can get... Uh, well, Carmen Meyer, who I love and is a huge Meghan Markle fan, 
she'll be on our honeymoon. Um, I want I want to chat about her merit. I just don't realistically think I'll get an episode up, but maybe we'll do an Instagram live or something. I'm so, guys like this is a big effing deal. I, I can't decide if they're exaggerating it. So her and Harry did this interview with Oprah. And at first I was like, yeah, yeah, it's going to be same old, same old, like the media is toxic. And on and Harriet did a really charming um, interview for Carpool Karaoke. I've kind of fallen out of favor with James Corden in like the past year. I just I heard he's really rude to his staff. And then he on um, he had Kimmel on at one point, his like little game where they, they like, have a round robin of like fear factor level, you know, weird foods like bull tes- testicles and they have to like do a dare eat the bad food and kimmel said name one of the cameramen in this room and he couldn't and i was like gross 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 i hate that so much for his life anyway uh and i just i didn't like his character in prom i just feel like he's overused uh whatever so james corden had harry on for carpool karaoke i think they're friends and Harry talked about the crown, which is crazy. Uh, he said, like, obviously it's, you know, exaggerated, but it's at least based on truth where the media is completely fabricated, which I thought was interesting. He said that the queen sent Archie a waffle maker for Christmas, that Prince Philip doesn't hang up on Zoom. He just slams the laptop. And I'm like, OK, it's interesting that he's alluding to him still being in contact with his grandparents. No mention of Wills or Kate other than James saying he'd be cast as William. Uh, in some like movie or whatever, they did a tough mutter course, which a lot of people liked, but I don't, I don't really in interviews. I, I don't know. I, I don't need physical comedy. I don't need athletic pursuits. I just want words, but fine. T- Harry was very charming. I, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I think that Harry and Meghan are the normal people in this venture and that the Royal family is buried in secrets and corruption and, uh, inside leaks and it's a family that operates as a business and prioritizes the business that locks people like Will and Kate into having to uphold this service model that they probably don't want to be either and then people down the lineage like Harry have flexibility that when exercised I think is being very much held against them and you throw in the mix of Megan people always call it Megxit but I always have said you should be called sus exit I actually do not think this is as spearheaded as by Megan as people think I think Harry has hated the firm hated the life has been deeply affected by the death of his mother and the role that the family and the paparazzi and their lack of protection of her may have played in that And I think that he's been looking for an out for a long time and his wife empowered him to do so and agreed and affirmed his concerns and his desires for his future family. I have no doubt that if like if I were Megan and I stepped into this role and there was no chance of me be like being king and queen consulate or whatever, and I couldn't make my own private income, I had to abide by all these ridiculous rules from like pantyhose to nail polish to how I cross my legs to holding a clutch so handshaking isn't awkward to not being able to take a coat off and like you know the royal protocol is ridiculous the royal assignments and trips are like so formal and the gossip surrounding them is so so harsh and when you really think about it having your entire life be incredibly restricted and the work and service you can do honestly too be restricted due to being kind of an ancillary supporting member of the monarchy, yet 
there really being no reasonable possible chance you would be head of state, like to live within that restriction yet not actually be meaningfully in line for the throne would be kind of annoying. And it doesn't seem like they should have to abide by the same rules that uh, people higher up in the line of succession do. And for Megan, like to go from like supporting herself and being a career person to not being able to make any money for them to have like this income potential yet not be able to take any of it and to have to serve the country that like is constantly brutally attacking them in the press on behalf of the family that doesn't go out of their way to defend them. If anything, the staff leaks stuff to the press about them and defends things like Kate didn't have a meltdown when Charlotte didn't like her uh, uh, flower girl dress. Like, you know, the the firm swept in and cleared up stories about Kate immediately. But Megan is is viciously racially attacked her character is taken down. Her privacy is impeded upon and no one does shit. It's like, why would the, he, he, his duty is to service. Yeah. His duty is to his family, but I get why they wanted to have some separation and to modernize their role because he doesn't need to be like prepping to be King. Like Will and Kate's life is going to be different. Um, I just don't think it's like, I just think when you think about it, what they did make sense, whether you want to label it as greedy or whatever, that they just wanted to make hundreds of million dollars off Netflix and the like, uh, like whatever, that's up to you. I think any of us would pursue that kind of F you money if given the opportunity. Um, but I don't know. I like he maybe wants to raise his kids in a different environment. And he had a really difficult childhood, I think, with the treatment of his mother. And we, you know, conspiracies aside, like, I, I don't know. I'm not a big conspiracy theorist, but I don't really know if I think the royal family's innocent in the ultimate treatment of Diana. Um, and I don't know, you guys. I just, it, it bums me out that he and William are having a falling out. I hate watching the general public and press be so fast to label the woman as the problem, the catalyst, the wedge uh when you know do we ever think for a second maybe he's a man who can make his own decisions that was empowered and supported by his partner instead of evilly manipulated by her because like oh god a woman with opinions what a what a manipulative monster like what <laughs> i'm sorry i'm just so tired of of all of it um so that interview is going to be interesting there was a preview that came out last night that said where megan was like so much has been lost already that like, I don't really have that much to lose, which is like a crazy thing to say. And it, she called the royal family the firm, which is really interesting to hear out loud and on TV, because that's not something you ever hear the royal family say. It's like a nickname for the royal family, the crown. And it's kind of a, maybe like a colloquial term for how they run like a business. And it's kind of equal parts. Uh, I was reading Harper's Bazaar, like it's supposed to be both endearing and critical of the way they run. And I guess it was coined by Fr Prince Philip who um, there's a book in 2005 called the firm, the troubled troubled life of the house of Windsor and the journalist who wrote it, Penny Jr. Jr. Uh, said Prince Philip calls it the firm and all of the Royal executives and their powerful associates are supposed to make every effort to avoid even a hint of scandal that could diminish the reputation of the family business. And it's just kind of like, it, it's a term that I you, you would never hear one of them say out loud to the press that she used. And it just goes to show them kind of positioning it, it as putting the family, uh, putting family second and like business first. And Harry alluded to that in Carpool Karaoke as well. And I'm just like so excited and intrigued and I can't wait to hear more. 
And I just, I don't know, maybe my opinion will change, but I just think most of us, if in that situation, would do the better thing for our family, our finances, and our mental health. And like, it's just not that unusual to me. If he was going to be king, it'd be one thing. And I do understand, this is where I, I don't, what I don't know how to reconcile is the, you know, the the financial piece, the privilege piece, the the like being given so much and being a part of something that is like, you know, revered and, and sponsored by the taxpayer and only to ultimately leave and all that. And I know they've done like everything in their power to be so clear they're financially independent and blah, blah, blah. But I do get that like, I understand the bite the hand that feeds you logic and that people are frustrated with tradition breaking, but hey, I'm I'm here. Not only am I here for just like the general drama, because it's just exciting that something's we're living through a time where these changes are happening. Um, but I don't know. I just I'm not a gal that uh, respects and reveres people that keep their mouths shut because that's the way they've always done it. I like people that take chances. I like people that argue for a better life for themselves. And if it turns out they're the garbage people and uh, I'm wrong, I'll tell you. But for now, I think I would probably do the same thing. So we'll get into our topic for the day. I it's <laughs> Greg's out of town for work. I'm recording this really late. Uh, and I don't know. It's funny. I, I don't... I think... You know how Carrie Bradshaw used to slip into her secret single behavior and she'd eat, like, jam on saltines standing in the kitchen? My secret single behavior from my single gal days is just, like, staying up really late and getting really obsessed with random projects that like may never come to fruition but just enjoying the quiet of the night i'm very distracted by the daytime and the activity and my phone going off and emails and i just kind of really need to not be distracted and i don't know i kind of like staying up and partying i sometimes when he leaves town i feel like i'm a 12 year old uh whose parents just like left them uh without a babysitter for the first time you know it's like he might as well have left me money for pizza but not that I don't miss him. It's just funny because you, when you're in a relationship for a long time, it is interesting how like you're just not alone that much anymore. And with COVID, like you're literally never alone. And uh, sometimes it's just like fun to do your own thing. But then after a day, I'm like over it. <laughs> so excited for him to come home. Um, but yeah, it's nice to have my own little midnight society. You know, remember Are You Afraid of the Dark? That show is scary. I do not like horror films, but for some reason, I used to watch Are You Afraid of the Dark. And mm, roughly once a month, that face of that doll that was frozen in that dollhouse um, pops into my mind. Also, that like weird vampire that came out of the movie screen with the crooked teeth and the white face. And also um, that like demon that would come through the wall when you would like draw a cue called Quicksilver. And also there was this kid who had this guilt because his friend died in a tragic accident and his friend would show up as a ghost. And he, it looked so real. It was so scary. Um, and then, like, any of, like, the dark, shadowy people in other dimensions, you could put on these, like, eye goggles, like, these glasses, and you could see these shadow figures. It was really spooky. And that's that's the thing with um, being a highly sensitive person that I didn't realize. In life, you're inundated with, with um, harsh imagery, oftentimes at the drop of a hat on television or otherwise. And the assumption is that it's just people find it entertaining. But people that like horror films and like gore and like dark themes don't realize that they can shake it. They can compartmentalize. They'll move on with their life. But I 
30 years later, we'll still think about that creepy doll once a month. Um, some of us absorb things a little too intensely and can't shake the energy. And the biggest example I can watch that was like a little too close to home and terrifying and real is like watching The Handmaid's Tale. I nearly had to throw up like every it was so it, the energy of it was so terrifying to me. And in our last administration seemed so potentially real to me. I felt sick watching it and I couldn't it, it would stay with me for days. And it's just an annoying thing where I wish I could be more content flexible, I guess. But um, in next week's podcast or the week after, I'm having an under the micro influencer with this amazing woman named Ailsa, and uh, she's ha at Happy Go Curly on Instagram. We talk a ton about women's health. She's a, um, a certified nurse midwife, and I brought something up that I kind of hadn't thought about in a while about the way uh, sex ed and family life was handled at my public school and my hangups with like children, childbearing, labor, birth, all these things, and uh, how in an effort to get us to be abstinent, they showed us this incredibly um, graphic video of this woman giving birth that I wasn't ready for, nor did I know was coming. And I'm so mad about it because I think a lot of my deep-seated like fear and terror comes from seeing that when I wasn't ready, not being warned about it. And also the lack of understanding by like school administration and, 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 and faculty that like a harsh graphic imagery does not fall the same on every set of eyes. And it was it was so scary for me at that time. Now I'd be probably okay, but back then I I just saw it as like a, like a horror film. Like I didn't know what was going on. And I'm just really mad that those things happened and that like instead of teaching us how to have safe sex, they just would put up on a giant overhead projector like photos of what STDs looked like to just scare us. And it worked, but it didn't teach me anything about sexual health, my body, about safety. It's so I get so frustrated when I think about it. Anyways, that's that's an episode that's coming up. But um, why was I talking about that? Oh, yeah, the Midnight Society. Anyway, um, another thing that, you know, used to be scary, but in a good way that I would uh, get lost in in my youth it's a little section of Seventeen magazine called Trauma Rama. Now, I when I recorded with um, Becca and Grace from Bad on Paper, Becca Freeman brought up Trauma Rama to me, and it was like blast from the past. Had not heard that term in forever, but my God, I used to just go to the Barnes and Noble, and just like a creepy old man trying to read a porn magazine by slipping it into your latest issue of Cat Fancy. A little trick in the book. Uh, I would <laughs> go read YM, but like slip it into I don't know American Cheerleader, <laughs> whatever the hell is appropriate, uh, and sit in the Barnes and Noble Starbucks, spend all of my allowance on a six dollar frappuccino caramel, and just uh, sip away while I read the devastating tales of period stains. Um, I love embarrassing moment sections of old teen magazines because not only do they not age well and it's stuff that women should not be embarrassed for that we were taught to be embarrassed by, but it was where I got all my juice. Uh, 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 it had a lot of fun, like hookup stories that I wasn't really, you know, hearing about in real life in the youth group circuit. I, I, I loved magazines just as much as I loved uh, music and movies and TV. And I'm so weird that I will buy old YMs and 17s and teen magazines off of eBay. And I'm so mad I didn't keep them um, as I had a huge collection growing up. 
And I did a Patreon episode where I read through a couple of the issues. Uh, YM, I I think, is underrated in its juice level because it's targeted toward young people. Like Cosmo, I understand why it's going to be dirty. But like YM, young and modern, I mean, it's targeted to minors. And the stuff that they talk about is, I mean, it's good. Well, one of the times I got in the most trouble was at my grandpa's house. And when my mom came in the guest room I was staying in, and we had just been to a bookstore and when she wasn't looking i bought a ym and i'll never forget it she was so mad at me and to be fair i was 12 and i just wanted to read about discharge you know that's that's what like all these magazines are it's like there's this weird stuff in my underwear what is it and it's like didn't you read july august september october november december january february march april may and june they all had that answer in it (laughs) but yeah what are you gonna do um I just am a huge fan, and I I bought a book of some of, it's called Seventeen Trauma Rama, and it's a two thousand one book that's a compilation of some of their best embarrassing stories, and I just I love going through it because I just think it's a theme I've been talking about a lot lately of you know women needing to appear effortless and breezy of um, being taught that things are embarrassing that actually shouldn't be because we're just human of the way that women were spoken about in the broad mainstream media and pop culture when I was growing up and many millennials were growing up uh, just in terms of it being more widely acceptable to suggest that we were objectifiable, that our bodies and faces and outfits and everything were up for discussion by anybody who felt the need to have an opinion. Um, I just feel like we were surrounded with this mental funhouse mirror of different ways people could distort who we were, what we were doing, or the way we looked, which just kind of made you look inward and obsess over menial things that don't really matter, but but we were kind of taught to be picked apart. And like that would be our inevitability. And a lot of these things most people probably don't notice, but I almost do think there's some sort of uh, pop cultural element here, uh, especially like reading these stories growing up. And it all comes back to embarrassing yourself in front of your crush. And it's oftentimes not stuff that's that embarrassing or should be. Like, so the beginning of this book says, do you ever wonder how you've coped with it's, with life so far? How you'll ever get through the next five minutes, not to mention the next five years? That should be the tagline of this podcast. One thing's for sure. <laughs> life happens. You wake up in the morning with a huge new zit. Walk into French class and totally clueless that your shirt has a huge stain on it and then bump into the guy you've been crushing on for a month, only to accidentally step on his sprained toe. (laughs) In short, you feel like a total loser. You want to scream, hey, who is scripting my life? I demand a rewrite. Well, just calm down. (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) Consider this book your new best friend, your personal trauma trainer, and your stay cool coach all rolled into one. Sure, sometimes life is spelled T-R-A-U-M-A, but you can use several key symbols in this book to help you cope. The trauma-o-meter... I feel like it should be called trauma meter. I'm going to call it the traumometer. The traumometer can help you tell the difference between a brush it off blunder and a change your name and enter the witness protection program fiasco. Who are you? A- Maddie and Abby from the American National Movie Hit. Our lips are sealed. We sleep on O-L-A-S. <laughs> Passport to Paris and Holiday in the Sun rightfully get all the hype. But our lips are sealed is, is so ridiculous. Maddie and Abby... And they're, they're probably their boyfriends like Brock and Kyle. I don't remember their names. 
it mostly takes place in Australia, but the premise is that they see what they call the Neil Diamond being stolen at a local museum. And the FBI puts them in the witness protection program and has to move them all around the world because they're fatal f- character flaws that they're blabbermouths. But then, so then they keep having to, they keep blowing their cover. Or then they'll get sent to like Amish country and they'll like scream, I'm in the witness protection program. So they'll get actively moved. I mean, the, and the, the crime lord that they're being protected from is this man named Hachu. And the entire joke is that it sounds like a sneeze. It's a screenplay for the ages. And uh, oh God, I'm probably going to watch that soon. There's this really cute scene where they put on like, um, like Mondrian style, like block art dresses. Uh, and wear like go-go boots. I, it, no one does a montage better than MKNA. Let's let's face it. I, I I mean, the top of the top is probably Holiday in the Sun, One Girl Revolution, because like who doesn't want to be on a high-speed foot chase to prevent the stealing of Bahamian antiquities? Uh, but anyway, a huge fan. There's a Patreon deep dive about Mary Kate Nashley that I did last year. If anybody cares. Anyway, so yeah, the traumometer. And the, the Traumarama compilation goes from one no biggie to ten. Find a paper bag that will fit nicely over your head. <laughs> like, are young people talk to you like this now? Because this is like, if you once you've fallen in love, you're practically destined to make a complete fool of yourself. If you aren't dropping French fries all over your date's lap, you're spilling the beans about kissing his best friend last year after a football game. You're either tripping over your feet or your tongue, and we don't even want to think about what that means if you're kissing him at the time. In short, when it comes to ways to embarrass yourself on dates, the possibilities are endless. But wouldn't it be fantastic if you could zap your inner klutz and figure out how to be your smoothest, coolest self when you're with the guy of your dreams? Why do you guys think I'm obsessed with being breezy? Um, (laughs) You just have to tap into some basic awareness that guys aren't the true cause of your Urkel-esque behavior. You are! Oh, okay, okay, Rachel Hollis. What is this? Girl, put a bag over your face? Uh... Is this advice about, be careful who's around when you check your messages, read your beeper, or even answer your cell phone. If guy one calls while you're getting a mocha with guy two, someone's going to figure out what's going on and get his feelings hurt. Who cares? Better to leave your techno toys turned off while you're on a date. After all, you wouldn't bring another guy along and make it a threesome, would you? Jeez! (laughs) This is assuming the reader's like 13. Like, ma'am, this is a Wendy's. Ma'am, this is a gymboree. Like, stop. This one says, I was so excited about going to a new school that I chose my first day out, but three weeks before school started. It was perfect. A cute little shirt and a matching skirt. But when I went to my first class, my English teacher, Mrs. Dunn, was wearing the exact same shirt and skirt set. Suddenly, my new name was Mrs. Dunn. I was so bummed. That is a missed opportunity for dun-dun-dun. There's something about wearing the same outfit, especially on an important day or to a big event, that makes most of us uncomfortable. Someone we know ended up wearing the same bright red designer dress as her best friend to the senior prom. Ouch. Uh, you know who also did? Me. I bought an orange dress off the sale rack at Dillard's by the Balmain of, you know, the early aughts, Jessica McClintock. I'll say it. I've said it once. I'll say it again. I think there should be a revival. I think it should be called Jessica McClintock Talk. And we should review Jessica McClintock prom dresses on TikTok. Um... But it was orange. I don't wear orange. I don't like orange. I It was on sale because it was orange. Who the hell wears an orange prom dress? But I tried it on. And, you know, not unlike Teen Witch, never going to be the same again. I just felt, like, transformed. 
uh, by some sort of mystical force because I looked fierce as hell in this orange dress. And this was my peak tanning bed phase before they came after me uh, with that collections agency. And I just looked great. I and I've told the story before, but like I showed up to prom and a girl that was a pocket girl was wearing my same dress and she doesn't even go here. She was the girlfriend of some dude in our like 32 person group for a country club meal that I cannot believe they would ever take a reservation for because what a nightmare. What bad tippers. I don't even think I had a debit card yet. Um, and I, I, I'll i never get over it. I, I, I'm not even a person that really would care about that, but it just so happened to be a very unique dress. And I was so mad she didn't even go to my school and worse that her shoulders were so goddamn narrow. Her tiny rib cage, like rib cage hostage to my feelings. It was tough. I made it through. How the traumometer tell me to handle this? Uh, <laughs> first, you feel as if you should be wearing a big sign that reads, not too smart, couldn't come up with a better idea than what she's wearing. Then there's the comparison factor of who looks better in the outfit, you or your clone. Well, that's, a, <laughs> that's like not great advice. Okay, I'll get to our embarrassing moments in a second. I just want to see if there's anything else good in here. How to cope when your stomach rumbles, your deodorant fails and worse. You're at a birthday party for a friend on a hot summer night. There are a lot of people around you whom you don't know, so you're nervous. The result... Your palms are sweating so much that they feel like slabs of raw tuna. <laughs> it's just a weird comparison. I just feel like when I was 12, I was like consuming a little more high C than ahi, but raw tuna it is. Uh, that's when the birthday girl wants to introduce you to her older brother who's home from college. He's gorgeous, tall, blonde, and buff. And also, you're a minor, but it doesn't say that. With a look in his eyes that makes you melt, he reaches out to take your hand and you freeze. You know, if you shake hands with him, you'll soak his palm. Yuck. Instant turn off. Yeah, ladies, if you do something as gross as sweat from your human pores, go take a long walk off a short pier. You don't deserve to exist. First, you wish you were anywhere but there. Then you wonder why things like this never happen to the girls on Friends. I mean, yeah, they do. They were always suffering from a severe case of hard nipples. If you often feel like your body is betraying you, you're not alone. Luckily, we've got a zillion strategies to get you through the body blues. A few weeks ago, I left my purse in a store at the mall. My crush and I raced all over the place trying to find it. When we finally spotted it, we opened it to be sure it was mine, and there was a huge stash of tampons staring us in the face. I was so embarrassed. <laughs> I tried to pretend it wasn't my purse. <laughs> She'd she'd rather she'd rather never get her personal belongings back than admit to having tampons. Uh, but the guy was totally sweet. He said, "Don't worry, I didn't see anything anyway," and gave me a smile. What a great guy! And then the advice people said, "Seriously, don't let go of that guy," <laughs> as if he deserves a freaking medal. The amount of period-based embarrassment I've let myself suffer through throughout my life, one that ended like a relationship because I bled on somebody's couch, like a little bit by accident in a way that was hardly noticeable, but the person was so rude to me and mean to me about it, like never taught, like I agonized over it for like years of it being like a breaking point and like that's so fucked up of him to make me feel bad. Um, and it's just like, you know, you bleed on something by accident. Nobody wants to do that on purpose. And all you want to do is disappear. Meanwhile, this young male would cease to exist if not for the shedding of said lining. So suck it up, brah. Don't make a scene. I, that's something if I have sons, I want to like make it crystal clear. We do not shame people for bodily functions. We do not make people feel gross 
when their body operates like a human person's that needs to like survive and live and reproduce if they so choose. Like I, growing up, the messaging around like, he like, let's keep it quiet, slip a tampon up your sleeve. It's just like so infuriating. Um, like, and trust me, I actually don't have bathroom humor. I, I don't like, like, I think there's a difference between um, shameful and just like, you know, not talking about stuff because it's like gross, but not gross because like you're a woman or you're a person, but just like not everybody always wants to hear about stuff that's like, you know, bodily related. And I don't either, uh, but I would never make fun of somebody for it. It says most members of the male spe- species are totally clueless when it comes to that time of the month. They know the basics from sex ed, but they definitely don't want to be schooled about the rest. Menstrual cramps, tampons versus pads. Trust us. He doesn't want to know. <laughs> Yeah, because he's not disgusting. Like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is the last the last story in the book. I skipped ahead. I didn't read them all because I don't know if they're all any good. My mom took me on a trip to the Bahamas, just the two of us. While I was suntanning on the beach, two guys from my school walked by. In the Bahamas? <laughs> As I was talking to them, I noticed they stopped paying attention to me. They were looking up the beach toward my mother, walking toward us. She was topless. I was so embarrassed. I ran back to our room to hide. Folks, we have a winner. This trauma is so awful, it's completely off the charts, and it's our vote for trauma of the year. (laughs) The point is that your mom was inconsiderate of you and your feelings. It's your mom's prerogative to sunbathe in the buff, but she definitely could have told you she was planning on doing it beforehand. What? Parents should have good manners, too? How would your mom like it if you removed your top? Well, you're a child. I don't know if this is trauma of the year. It's making mom sound like a slur. But mom's on vacation. She's paying. Are you kidding me? You know how nice it is of her to take you to the Bahamas? That's how Danny met Kevin Jonas. Uh, I don't think the Bahamas is like a topless vibes place. It'd be one thing if you were in Europe. But I don't know. It's funny because now that I'm older... It is weird how, like, the assumption is, like, uh, moms should be homely. And if you're not homely, you're, like, a hot mom. You're trying to be a cool mom or, like, whatever. But why can't our default setting just be hot? Like, why can't that just be normal? I keep telling Greg I, I've, I'll i never operate from a place where my best years aren't yet to come. I keep being like, just you wait till I'm in my prime. <laughs> I want to be the hottest mom of the PTA who cares the least about replying to emails. That's honestly my goal. There's nothing, there's something so deeply wrong and offensive that I hate with every fiber of my being about the phrase, let herself go. You never hear that said about men and letting yourself go is often like a thing that's attributed to women that are married and and or have had kids and are just busy and consumed with taking care of everyone else in their lives and their uh, you know, self-maintenance is sacrificed as a result. And like, it that's it's just so rude and so mean. And it's like suggesting that somebody exists in this optimal physical form that they need to adhere to. Otherwise, it's their fault for not being able to uphold it. And it's just like, I mean, it's like the whole the thing, what I talked about in Childless Millennial. I mean, I know this is the most common knowledge thing ever, but it it... It's so crazy to me that, like, as women, we 
we like we work our asses off to have these like lives and careers to find the right partner blah, blah blah by the time comes around where you like think about maybe having kids if you don't want to great if you do great it's so hard to even have one in the first place much less more than one and then if you finally get over the hump of wanting to have one and then they're like a year or two old you're like well i don't know i don't want to have just an only child so then you have to do it all over again and then you're just expected to commit like a decade of your life to like rearing children in addition to maintaining your life and career and mental health and friendships and relationship it's just like what I think I, I just will never get over like it, it, in my head. It's just like, OK, yeah, I'll have one. Like, I just got to have one kid. But then it's like, well, geez, then you're mapping out the time frame. And it's like, I got to do that again. If I don't if I want to have like them to have a buddy, honestly, more so for me than anyone else. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, me talking about parenting your kids must be the most obnoxious thing on the planet. And if and when I'm still, you know, if I have this podcast for years to come, if I don't get pushed out by the celebs uh, and or if I ever have children, um, I am sure I will eat my words. But I think that like since I'm not a person that dreamed of that, I never went through this thought process of like what it entails until I got to the age. And if you're a person that doesn't romanticize it, you're kind of like, geez, I already feel busy. <laughs> I just don't see how how I would take down my like body and mind and uh, you know energy levels in the crossfire and still be able to function. But this is why women are incredible and why we should never let anybody make us feel trauma ramad for anything at all. I just opened a YM magazine. Young and it it was like Young Miss and then it was Young and Modern, um, or vice versa, and their humiliating stories. 17 at Traumarama, YM had say anything. For example, this is from um, December of 2000. Oh, when I made the Christmas list that I posted on Instagram yesterday. That's funny. My friend and I were looking in the lingerie department at Target when we spotted the biggest bras and undies we had ever seen. We thought they were super funny, so we put them on over our clothes and our heads and started running all over the store, just being silly and loud. I couldn't see very well through the enormous bra on my head and ran right smack into my crush. This is what we had to deal with. Like, this was presented as normal and funny. Talk about size exclusive. Like, what's funny about... <clears throat> Honestly, you deserve it. I, I, you're, I hope your trauma meter is off the charts because you just should be embarrassed as a person of making fun of sizes. My friends and I were finishing up lunch at the pizza place in the mall when a hot guy walked in. As I left the table to throw away my empty tray, I was too busy watching him to notice a chair in front of me. I tripped over it, lost my balance, and plunged headfirst into the trash can. No, you did not. Are you a cartoon? Did you slip on a banana peel? Like, no. This, this is so, these are made up. There are no, there's no way people submitted these. Every single time somebody falls into a trash can, it's just not going to happen. It's like faker than when Smith Jarrett tried to grab Samantha Jones' hand and she fell into that food well. Um, four food court wor workers rushed over to help me the exact moment that the guy turned around and saw me with garbage in my hair and pizza on my shirt. <laughs> I guess you could say I fell head over heels for him. Jeez. <sighs> on my playlist, Making Bead Lizards, um, on Spotify, I... I don't know if I mentioned it last week. I'm doing a, like a six-month partnership with Spotify where I make these like theme playlists every month. And the first one was like kind of 90s, 2000s throwback themes. The four playlists are named after my four core hobbies and like around the year 2000. Um, pensively playing solitaire, which is like emo, you know, kind of pensive music. 
Um, one is inflatable chair lounging, which is kind of like the one two hit wonder bumblegum pop, like radio Disney slash, uh, kind of like Willow Ford, Blue Cantrell, M2M, Samantha Moombas of the world, you know, not the popular girls, but the involved girls who made things of high quality yet just don't get the hype they deserve. Um, then I have, uh, one called mismanaging romantic expectations, just because like no one's ever looked at me and said the strands in your eyes that color them wonderful stop means steal my breath. And I just always thought that like more men were going to say things to me, like I'm going to spend a little more time on you. And then I have one called making bead lizards to celebrate the preteen hobbyist, you know, to go from the craft fair to Lilith fair. And one of the songs I have on there that I just, I guess, I don't know why I'm bringing this up. I just deeply appreciate um, more so like people uh, keep reaching out being like, why isn't this song on there? Why isn't this song on there? And trust me when I say, I think long and hard about my selections. And no, I didn't put Alanis Morissette's You Wanna Know on this playlist. That's a great rage song. I'm saving that for another of like girl power breakup anthems to come at a later date. But also the point of these is to celebrate songs that I often don't think I either think are worth the hype or not given the hype they deserve. And I want you to sit down and really listen to Alanis Morissette's Head Over Feet. So I bring this up, the head in the trash can of it all. It's a beautiful and deeply romantic song from a person that is a little rough around the edges usually. And it's so confessional and vulnerable. Um, And it's such a departure from the other songs on Jagged Little Pill. And I just think it's so beautiful and I just encourage anybody to... Just give it a listen. Um, It's kind of similar to, you know how in songs like Lover, Cardigan, like Taylor Swift actually won't bathe in metaphor and she'll almost use overly colloquial, straightforward terms. I kind of feel like this song is similar in that and that it's just really straightforward and like a person being reluctant, but being one, like you've already won me over in spite of me. Don't be alarmed if I fall head over feet. Don't be surprised if I love you for all that you are. You treat me like I'm a princess. I'm not used to liking that. You ask me how my day was. Your love is thick and it swallowed me whole. You're so much braver than I give you credit for. That's not lip service. You are the best listener that I've ever met. You're my best friend, best friend with benefits. What took me so long? I've never felt this healthy before. I've never wanted something rational. I am aware now. (sighs) It's all your fault. My dream is to be able to have spoken interstitials and like have playlists that are playlist podcast hybrids and to be able to talk in between songs and point things out that are meaningful or important or notable or that I have an anecdote for and like fully talk radio it up. But why podcasts and music that is like licensable and playable don't intersect on some platforms is really frustrating. It's like we have the nuts and bolts of human talk radio, but not human like, uh, like radio shock jocks, you know, (laughs) I want to be a, an on-demand self-made shock jock that is not attached to a, a, a radio station, but alas, I do not know how to do that. Okay. I'll stop reading these. Mm. I was psyched to go to a BSB concert with my boyfriend. When we got there, my guy whispered to me that I must have started my period because there was a red stain on my white jeans. I was so embarrassed that he noticed I couldn't even look at him. I ran to the bathroom to get a pad and stayed there until the lights in the auditorium dimmed. What made it even worse is that I had to spend $32 on a tacky concert shirt to cover up the awful stain. Talk about seeing red. 
that's the reason why I think these are fake is because of the puns at the end. Like, no teenager is writing that. Like, the one before is um, about somebody tripping, and the last sentence is, from then on, the day took a total nosedive. And then there's one about somebody's laundry, like somebody having underwear and, like, their pant leg at school. And the last sentence is, that was the dirty laundry I wish I hadn't aired. Like, <laughs> again, very Samantha Jones. <laughs> very unnecessary. Um one afternoon, my longtime crush and I escaped the school cafeteria and went to Burger King for lunch. He started telling me a really funny story, and I was laughing hysterically. The next thing I knew, Dr. Pepper was spewing out of my nose and mouth. He was totally disgusted. Now every time I see one of his friends, they laugh and say, There goes the human sprinkler. Guess that lunchtime moment was not quite what the doctor ordered. <laughs> That's a Mr. Pib shit right there. Like, what? Who cares? <laughs> who, who, yeah. Sorry you laughed at a guy's joke. Like, we, we cannot win. Oh, my God. Okay, let's move on. One of my favorite things about these old magazines are these quizzes that are almost like the BuzzFeed quizzes of yesteryear. And honestly, I think that's why I had such a good time with my Helix Sleep experience, because Helix Sleep has a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete, and it matches your body type and sleep preferences uh, to the perfect mattress for you. And I was not a big believer in this process because it just seems like you need to sit on something you're going to sleep on every night. But I mean, when I say it's effective, I've, I've gotten everybody I know into a Helix mattress because whether you're a side sleeper or a hot sleeper, you like plush firm, there, there's no confusion and no uh, more compromising on an average mattress. And they know how to match you with what you need. They were awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2019 by GQ and Wired Magazine. Mine is called The Dusk. And it is, I, I, it's not your average mattress shipped to you in a box. It is shipped to you in a compact box and like inflates before your eyes. It's kind of mesmerizing, but it's, the quality is unmatched. It is so comfortable. We absolutely love it. And uh, mattresses are like a weird thing because, you know, you just have to take my word for it. It would be weird if I was like, you should come try it sometime. But really, it's, it's outstanding. And, and if you try it in your home and you don't like it, they have a 10-year warranty, and you can also get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free, and they'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it. But you absolutely will. I have no doubt. Just go to helixsleep.com slash be there in five. Take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of their life. And even better, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for my listeners at helixsleep.com slash be there in five. That's Helix, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash be there in five for up to $200 off and two free pillows. Thanks to Helix. Oh, you know what I should have said is like, don't sleep on Helix, <laughs> but like do. Ugh, I'm the worst. With that said, my album, Slightly Off Kilter Circadian Rhythm, <laughs> drops next week. It's kind of a cool album name. <laughs> um, you know, spring is just around the corner, you guys. Depending on if we move or not, I'm kind of organizing and cutting out clutter in every way I can. I feel burdened by things around me. And I'm kind of doing the same with my fridge and freezer and meals. And uh, what I love about ButcherBox, it's kind of in a weird way, like just as you care for and organize your space, it kind of is doing the same thing for your plate. And I'm kind of trying to only keep around high quality foods and meat 
like exactly what ButcherBox sends. Every month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of high-quality meat right to my home. All meat is free of antibiotics and added hormones. Each box has about 10 pounds of meat, enough for 24 individual meals that are packed fresh, shipped frozen, and vacuum-sealed so it stays that way. You can customize your box or go with one of theirs. I typically go with one of theirs. Uh, And there are incredible options like 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. It's the way meat should be. Uh, You know, if you ask me, I think ButcherBox is the most affordable and convenient way to get healthy, humanely raised meat uh, for just around $6 a meal. I think I said earlier, each box is like 10 pounds. I mean, it's 24 individual meals. It's kind of crazy. And they have free shipping everywhere uh, nationwide except Alaska and Hawaii. Very sorry. Uh, And right now, ButcherBox is offering new members ground beef for life of of your subscription. That's two pounds of ground beef in every box for the life of their subscription. Just go to butcherbox.com slash be there in five. That's butcherbox.com slash be there in five. Okay, so yeah, maybe two, three weeks ago, Somebody tagged me on TikTok. It was like, what's embarrassing for no reason? Uh, I then crowdsourced it because I thought you guys would do a great job at this, giving you're so observant. And boy, did you deliver. I didn't have enough time to like go through them uh, on Instagram. So I want to go through some of them now because it makes me laugh. And I just I love I really love examining life with this level of granularity. And I think these things are kind of universal and calling them out isn't necessarily because it makes you seem a little like to um i guess neurotic is maybe the word but i just think there's things we notice that some people put more stock in than others and it's stuff that like who cares at the end of the day what you're how uncomfortable your passing interactions are with strangers but i love that we all you know care enough about those around us to pay attention to their discomfort and honestly revisiting the trauma rama of it all no wonder we're so hyper aware of what we're doing nobody cares i'm sure that's that's why i always say that um learning about narcissistic anxiety changed my life because even though it's not like a s- solving for any mental health issue, it's, it, it helps me to frame a lot of my uh, anxieties in the context of like nobody is paying as much attention to me as I am. You know what I mean? A prime example of a, uh, something that's embarrassing for no reason is getting out of a public pool. It's a real hat trick of my personal discomforts. I'm wet. I'm exposed at an undergarment level and I'm at an uncomfortable angle that's a real coast-to-coast good time back to front. Like, you're almost at this spider monkey uh, cute angle where you're at a point in the ladder, your legs get higher than they need to be because your arms are still low. And depending on the horsepower by which you push yourself up out of the pool, what's going to happen with your garment It's a real toss-up. A two-piece, your bottom could fly off or just be kind of wedged to a situation where until your hands are free, you cannot fix it. Uh, worse, your bottom could fly off faster than a suburban dad slightly drunk driving a boat at your rich friend's lake house because people always like to take really fast turns when you're tubing, and it is never pleasant with a two-piece. I I used to sit out, you know, despite being most Christ-like at water skiing, I used to sit out on the banana boat at that Christian camp. People would get so jazzed for it. And I was like, this isn't recreation so much as it is an open invitation for a a a a knee in my eye socket. Like, must be nice that you feel like you're going to heaven already, but my soul hasn't been saved till the campfire tonight, so I can't risk death. Anyway, the other thing, too, with um, with uh, getting out of public pools is, like, if I'm going for the ladder, I'm not typically, you know, stewing in the shallow end. I typically like to be covered up to the chest. If I go up a ladder, do I show off and skip rungs? 
Like I have long stems and they don't come in handy really because I'm not a model or a runner, but I can skip steps. And it come, you know, when I used to, when I was studying abroad, when I used to, we used to travel a lot. I mean, when we would climb all those goddamn Duomos in every single city that you allegedly have to climb to get the best view. I mean, I was the fastest up there. It was the only time I really felt like I was excelling at something athletic because I can skip a step well. But if you do that in a pool, you really play fast and loose with the angles there because then you're fully almost folded with your hands on the bar and your foot at the top. I mean, it's a whole thing. Can I just say, too, Duomo's like, I get it. Florence, beautiful. You know, some cities, there's a Duomo worth climbing. But in most cities, to climb 500 steps to get to the top of some quintessential building to look out at the view is kind of a waste of time because you're in the thing that makes the view quintessential. Like if you're in the Empire State Building and you look out on New York, it kind of looks like any other city because you're in one of the things that makes it quintessentially New York. You know what I mean? Uh, So if you're in Florence, you go to like a Piazza San Michelangelo to see the Duomo from the outside instead of going in it. And we spent hours climbing this thing. You know, uh, whatever. This is such a douchey argument. I just would say, you know, one of the beautiful things as I get older is I feel like I can say things when I travel in groups or with friends. Like, I don't want to go to a museum. I don't want to climb a Duomo. If I had a travel show, it would be called uh, Killing Time in a New Place Between Meals with Kate Kennedy, because that's how I travel. <laughs> it's just like meals. <laughs> it's the full poor world tour. Like, I just want to experience a place in a beautiful outdoor setting like the Cobblestone Alley Cat that I am. And I like some museums. I like some forms of art. I like beautiful places. I love a botanical garden. I... But I just, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like there's something really liberating about not having to fake interests anymore. There's actually a funny show, like a funny uh, episode of Modern Family, um, where everyone's trying to pretend to be smarter than they are to keep up with Alex at an art museum. And it's, I just felt, my whole life in museums, I felt like, oh, wow, yeah, did you see the origin of X, Y, or Z and its relation to Alexander the Great? It's like, I, I know it matters to some people that love history, and that's awesome. I do not care. And I care about a lot of things, as you guys know, but some things that are deeply boring, I just think it's freeing to be able to admit that you don't want to spend your time doing them when you're on your own free time, you know? The next embarrassing thing for no reason somebody submitted was taking off of uh, taking off a jacket. <laughs> this is what I mean. These things are so simple. You have to do them all the time. But yes, why is it weird? Uh, why is it weird? The royals don't take their jackets off in public. That's why Kate Middleton and the gang have so many coat dresses. God, I love coat dresses. I wish I had to wear fascinators to weddings. I really do like um, British wedding etiquette. Uh, But yeah, there's something very humanizing (laughs) about taking off a coat, especially because it can shift your garment. A tug on the sleeve, you expose a bra strap. God forbid you expose a belly button. I was in Trader Joe's the other day and I was fixing something with my jacket in the checkout line. I looked down. You could see my belly button. Now, uh, gross. No, nobody needs to see a belly button in a Trader Joe's. How humiliating. <laughs> I also ran into a Beth that day at Trader Joe's, which was really exciting. Um, fortunately, I feel like I'm kind of over the buffalo chicken dip now. And I was glad she didn't see me when reaching for it because I just I don't I don't like to be a cliche, you know. I I always see people when I'm doing something really embarrassingly cliche and like I just want you guys to know I'm like more than just dip I don't want to be a caricature of myself (laughs) but she was really cool it was uh it was fun to chat and um anyways yeah you take off I mean I the worst taking off a jacket situation is in in a theater you know 
you know, those tiny theaters with the red velveteen seats that barely fit, you know, a toddler, much less grown adults. And then you walk in a little bit late and you're like rustling through the aisle in your middle seat and you sit down in your tiny, creaky red velvet chair and you have to figure out how to take off your coat without fully clotheslining everybody on either side of you and also not like get, giving the entire auditorium a whiff of your scent. That's pleasant, mind you. I mean, it's like Tom Ford Black Orchid or Glossier U, but I do kick up some heat, you know, in my polyester fast fashion coat when I'm running through the cold and then end up in a heated spot. I mean, what are you going to do? Talk about causing a scene. It's not the theater. It's me taking my jacket off. I totally understand this. Someone submitted sitting by yourself in a booth at a restaurant. I saw a lot of these or like when your friend or partner gets up to go to the bathroom, it's like the longest two minutes of your life alone in a booth in a restaurant. And I just... I, I understand you. I support you. I see you. I, I, I don't find that uncomfortable, but I do things alone a lot. I think it might be a city thing, too. There's an anonymity, I think, in more dense areas where it's normal to be by yourself. Business travelers are alone. People are at bars alone. It's less sad than it is just like you, it wouldn't stand out to you. But also, even when I was in the suburban life, I did this like when I was going through a, a breakup, and by that I mean a relationship that I was fully in and had unrequited love for a person that we never officially dated that I mourned the loss of for years, um, you know, in between picking up guitar and going on the grapefruit diet, I also read a book about how to uh, get like creatively unblocked. And one of the recommendations, in addition to like writing morning pages and doing things to kind of channel your, you know, the, the, the events of your life or the stress or anxiety are going on in your life that that are going on in your life into something creative was to take yourself out on artist dates. And I love this premise. And I, and I held this premise, which is take yourself somewhere beautiful and just enjoy it. Take yourself to, you know, I said, it, I know I said it in like museums, but in Chicago, there's like the modern, uh, the Art Institute, which is has incredible modern art, you know, a botanical garden, a, a park, a movie, uh, uh, go shopping, go to boutiques, just somewhere beautiful where you can absorb and enjoy art just for what it is um, and allow it to process your feelings or allow yourself to kind of process your feelings through the absorption of something like beautiful and um, symbolic and, and metaphoric. And I don't know, I just always loved that. And and so I, when I was pretty young, started taking myself on artist dates a lot and this is why when everyone started talking about self-care, I kind of felt like I had been doing it the whole time because, you know, I have always had a lot of feelings and I don't do well sitting still sometimes. And but I also don't want to be around other people where I'm forced to talk about feelings. So I just got used to taking myself out alone. And, and I really, really love going to a beautiful restaurant, and having like a really nice meal solo. Uh, if I'm in a place of like, a, you know, sadness, despair, grieving or something. It actually is kind of nice and I really recommend it. So I don't find that to be as um, embarrassing, but I totally understand. If I, You know, if I was in the burbs where I knew people around me, it would be a little bit weirder because it would look like you got ditched or something, you know. But I'd argue in like your average cheesecake factory, a person, you know, sitting alone in a deep booth is a lot less distracting than the hybrid, you know, Egyptian Tuscan decor. What is going on in there? It's like, am I in ancient Mesopotamia or in, in Samantha Parkington's Victorian America? Like, pick one. Oh, hello, Dugwood. Um, Also, can really fast. So I'd ask people on Instagram, like, what's, what, what is your favorite Taylor Swift lyric because of the way she says it? There are some lyrics I just really like how she says them. And 
one of them that I'm recently really into is uh, what I think is one of the best songs on all of Folk Lovermore, uh, Folklore Lover and Evermore, <laughs> uh, which is a bonus track, which very new romantics, like very Wonderland. Sometimes her bonus tracks are some of the more outstanding uh, songs on a record but they go by the wayside and I just want to celebrate and encourage everybody to really listen to Taylor Swift's right where you left me. Uh, the people that don't like it have never been dumped in a fast casual eatery and it really shows it is dynamic. It, 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 it's a journey. It, it starts kind of country. It slowly builds. It's like 12 songs in one. The metaphor is so incredibly strong. The language is simple yet precise I, I feel like I'm in that booth. I don't know if she's talking about a dead person or a person that was frozen by their trauma at age 23. I don't know if it's about her or somebody else. It, it was on the ladies' lunching chapter, a playlist she put out that involved Dorothea and Betty, uh, Nobody, No Crime uh, with Esty. Uh, and I'm confused about the whereabouts of this woman. Some people think it's Esty at the Olive Garden, but um, my Olive Garden doesn't have white tablecloths. Does yours? I don't know, you guys, but... The way she says restaurant with the three full syllables, the enunciation is intoxicating. I just think this song is outstanding. Uh, can we just like listen for two seconds? At some point, I want to do an episode where I go th like I collected those because I wanted to do something about how the way we love Taylor's enunciation of lyrics. But when I was trying to share them back, I'm like, this is so hard to find it. It does it. Reading, it's not fun. You want to hear the word or lyric, but it was taking me forever to find it. I don't know. And then it's like, I can't really play that many of her songs on here without getting in trouble. Maybe I'll, I gotta figure out how to do it. Anyways, listen to this really fast. At the restaurant When I was still the one you want Cross-legged in the dim light Everything was just And you do emotionally prepare you for how she's about to say mascara run. Feel the mascara run You told me that you met someone Glass shattered on the about to pick up with the guitar. It's not, I mean, it, I mean, it doesn't sound good because I'm playing it on my computer, but it just, it keeps going and it picks up and it evolves and, um, help. I'm still at the restaurant sitting in a corner. I haunt cross-legged in the dim light. They say, what a sad sight. I could feel the mascara run. You told me that you met someone. Glass shattered on the white cloth. Everybody moved on. But I'm right where you left me. It's such a strong metaphor. <sighs> oh my God, ordering fajitas. Yes, as they make a sizzle journey across the restaurant. Uh, it, you know, I just think that in life... We have to create our own, own magic sometimes. And if you're not getting enough attention at home, just go order fajitas. Honestly, it's such a gratifying experience. The whole restaurant turns around. You have, you know, a sizzling plate in front of you. And I like to give the, you know, server or food runner a, a warm smile and a nod after they set it down because they warm me. The plate is very hot and that's so sweet. I feel cared for in that moment. I, I, I really do. I, I think ordering fajitas, actually, I take it back. I don't think it's embarrassing for no reason. I actually think it's a great way to connect, if only for a moment. Several people said, for back to embarrassing <laughs> things for no reason, several people said putting on sunscreen. And I agree. 
it's weird to rub yourself in public. I don't like putting on lotion in general. Just I just don't find it to be like an enjoyable activity. But it's it's a little hard to do it before you get to a destination because of the grease factor. And I also don't trust the uh, the sprays. The, the the even distribution is not always there for me. And as a person that burns so easily, I want to remind you. I mean, it, you know, this is I'll read this off the internet so I'm not mincing words here. But when it comes to SPF, people kind of misunderstand it. It's not how much of the sun you're blocked from. SPF, like by definition, it, it's well sun protection factor, and it's a measurement for the amount of time the sunscreen protects you from UV rays um, and UVB rays. But like, uh, if you burn after being outside for 30 minutes and have SPF 15, you're supposed to multiply 30 by the SPF, in this case 15, which means you'd be technically protected for 450 minutes or seven and a half hours. But that's technically, and most sunscreens wear off long before that because of uh, like water and sweat and exposure to the elements. Um, and that's why they recommend you reply, like reapply every two hours. But that's like the metric it, that it was like invented off of, I guess. And the number of UVB rays you're protected from increases with SPF marginally. So 15 blocks 93%, 30 blocks 97%, 100 blocks 99%. So I think it's it, like growing up, I always thought SPF was like, if my sister uses 15 and I use 75, the sun is getting through to her more, but actually it just means it will last her less time than mine. Isn't that so weird? Um, and I was reading from like a Encyclopedia Britannica, when I was <laughs> saying that, uh, so I'm not making that up. And also, and you guys are probably like, we know that. I had no idea. The other thing that I've learned on TikTok recently, I think her name's Emily in space. She's really like smart and sweet. And she talks about science in a really engaging way. And she's worked for NASA, I think. She studied like aeronautical engineering for eight years. She's like doing she makes all these like cute science pro science merchy items for young girls and is very pro women in stem makes science engaging like i just think she's great and i was watching a tiktok of hers recently and she was like there's this contest to go to space it's literally my life's dream she has like tears in her eyes and she's like but you know it's a very low chance all these all these youtubers are applying and i think maybe it's like an influencer competition and that have millions and millions of followers um, but like, go vote for me and you vote via Twitter. You can look her up at Emily, at Emily in space on TikTok. Wait, no, she's at the space gal. <laughs> Emily in Paris on the brain. Also, fun fact, it's supposed to be Emily in Paris. It rhymes. But of course, we're like Emily in Paris. <laughs> uh, which just makes it even better because the show is just is so bad. Uh, but still watchable. Just definitely not a Golden Globe worthy. Anyway at the space gal but i just yeah she was like very earnestly asking to help and like it's a spacex competition and donations for saint jude help your chances of winning and she was saying like all these youtubers like have been entering and are probably going to win because they have like millions and millions of followers and i was like oh that's because you know if do you have more followers you have more access to people and like they can donate on your behalf or i don't even know how it works there's but reach equals results right uh and i was like you deserve this she was so teary and i could like this is her live stream she's worked for 10 years to do this and if they send some garbage influencer like jake paul to the moon or wherever they're going like ah what are they gonna do make like epic fail vids like i don't know 
And clearly I'm stuck in 2007 when Epic fails were popular. I don't think anybody does that anymore. <laughs> Help. I'm still in the mid-late aughts. Uh, okay. Asking a Walgreens employee to unlock the razor cabinet? Like, yes, absolutely. It's, uh, the razors... Everything is behind bars these days. I understand electronics. But deodorant, razors, crest white strips... I mean, these things are valuable, but most places don't have them under lock and key. Uh, I just don't really know what the, like, the secondhand market for white strips is like, but I just can't imagine that's what people are gunning for that are going to shoplift. Like, I get that razors are sharp. I don't know. I get mortified when I ask for a decongestant behind the counter and I feel the need to say things like, hey, <laughs> I'm not making meth in like a very methy way. Uh, because I take your, I don't know, it like freaks me out. It's, it's kind of embarrassing for, again, no reason. Wearing a hat to an event and then being the only one in a hat. <laughs> I've talked, I feel like I've talked a lot about fashion hats. I just think fashion hats are fascinating. I wear baseball hats almost every day. Um, I, for many years, really believed that I did not have a head for hats. And then in the past year, I started wearing baseball hats. And it's really changed my hair's life because I felt so burdened by having to heavily dry shampoo so much and I just don't always want to like, you know, wash my hair and dry it and stuff. But man, baseball caps are sporty as hell. I just feel like I'm a full athlete at the Trader Joe's. But fashion hats are a different ballgame. I am fascinated when people show up to like a casual barbecue of six with a full camel Stetson hat on. I mean, I respect it, but also it's nighttime. Like bloggers always wear hats. But I don't mean I don't mean baseball caps. I mean like hats, whether it's a beret or <laughs> like a newsboy cap. And what am I talking about? I don't see newsboys like baker's caps. I don't know. I feel like bloggers always wear them in particularly the fall. And then it's almost weirder when a whole group is wearing hats because then it's like, are you part of a hat club like the red hat ladies? Because hat clubs are real. Um are you like trying to be in disguise? I don't know. And sometimes I want to compliment them and be like, that's really cute. You look like you have somebody Sam. Uh, you know, it's also <laughs> embarrassing for no reason. I feel like I, my whole life, I, this is so bad. This is so stupid. They can't help this. But I find it, uh, in, what's it called? Like vicariously embarrassing for no reason. When men, boys, men get their hair cut, the first day that they're fresh off of a cut, they look really silly. And I've always felt like that the whole my whole life. I've always had like a little bit of a an ick factor. Like, oh gosh, she just got a haircut. Because it's a little too like trim and proper. And I think I'd feel empowered on those days because every other day I was like obsessed with somebody. But, you know, somebody loses their signature front bang swoop and has like, a, you know, a tight short bang above the eyebrows. I'm like, I'm good. And I feel bad about that, but it passes. It just needs to grow out, like have that one or two days of grow out. It's just very obvious on dudes. I also feel bad for them when they've been wearing like a hat all day and they have to take off their hat for like being at dinner or the national anthem. Not that I'm in a lot of places where we say the national anthem, sing the national anthem, but you know, and then they kind of have like a, a cap dent uh, and sweaty hair. As a, as a woman, I would hate that. I, it's like... It's the Carrie Bradshaw dilemma of like you wear an outfit and your shoe very specifically goes with your outfit. Then you get somewhere and you're supposed to take your shoes off and then you're like, I look insane. And then I don't always think to match socks. I'm not a stickler for sock matching. I know it's I'm very type B. Uh, like I'll just find and put on whatever socks I can find. Um, 
And that's a problem when you have to take your shoes. Like, that's the worst. Uh, but similarly, if you go somewhere and you were forced to take off your hat, because a hat is typically to cover up hair, like, that would be a nightmare <laughs> to just have, like, my greasy roots out on display each and every day. Speaking of, somebody said uh, when you get picked to go through that TSA f thing that, uh, like, the machine that goes around, and I literally feel so on display at the airport security when that happens because I just think there's something very vulnerable about spreading my legs and putting my arms up in, in public. And I always sing Melissa Gorga's on display when I'm in one of those in my head. But it's like, on display, on display, on display, here at TSA, TSA, TSA. Um, you know, I won't keep going. I try to keep these to myself. Unfortunately, my brain, like... If I could describe it in like one term, it would be like Weird Al. I, I, the amount of things I think in, of in like parody too is frustrating. And and not because it's just not a type of, A, it's half the time not funny. And like people don't love parody songs. And I kind of wish I could deprogram. I really try to refrain from doing that on this podcast. Uh, I don't want to be cheesy. Speaking of cheesy, I do struggle. Like, not embarrassing, I guess, for no reason, but at a group gathering yesteryear, um, uh, sometimes I struggle with the cheese knives, uh, especially with the soft cheeses. I find it hard to figure out the best way to get some goat cheese and also the accoutrements because you can't really dip the cheese and you have to put it on your plate, usually like in the absence of its vehicle because I, I don't know. I, I think soft cheeses are a bit awkward and I also don't like to eat the brie rind even though you can't. I just think it's disgusting and it's hard to hold a conversation and seem like a grown woman. Uh, that's not like separating my sauce from <laughs> my sides uh, and like try to work around the rind. It's a little, it's a little weird. Anyways, um, this person said, taking the first sip of the bottle of wine at a restaurant. Yes, I feel like I, okay, I feel like I'm the friend that likes wine probably more than other people. So I, people will default to me as if I'm some sort of wine connoisseur, but like I'm just not. It's like, also, this isn't the French Laundry. This is, we're at, the, we're at a Grand Lux Cafe. I don't really know. <laughs> if you, I just think, I, I, it's kind of a practice that I know goes along with like wine culture, but I just think it's unnecessary because the only time you're really supposed to send back a bottle is if it is skunked, like if it's vinegary on the nose. And when the server smells the cork, like you're supposed to smell the cork and you can tell typically before you taste. Um, I've sent back wine twice and it was the same night, which is a problem. <laughs> and it was with a couple of friends that we were like trying to impress and hang out with. But I, but it was so bad. I was like, guys, I promise this, I'm, this isn't usually what I do. Like this just isn't normal. These bottles are bad, bad, bad. And uh, don't you hate when that happens, when something out of the ordinary happens and it's the first time you hang out with somebody and you're desperately trying to convince them that this is not your usual. But at the same time, chaos does kind of follow you. <laughs> I feel that way all the time. Uh, but yeah, I think that the, the the server knows deep down that my near crippling desire to be a pleasant patron overrides the acknowledgement of any vinegary notes. Like, let's get the show on the road. Uh, I'm just going to be like, mmm, like almost theatrically rubbing my stomach. <laughs> uh, when half the time I'm like, it's fine. Because it's a mid to low price bundle of wine at 300% markup. Like, what do you want from me? I'm not exactly experiencing the bouquet of a rare uh, Tianello, you know, to quote Meghan Markle's favorite wine that her blog was named after. Um, 
When you don't want anything, you try it on and hand it all back to the person working. I mean, God, if this isn't relatable. Dressing room interactions are rough. Um, and I keep items that I do not want to put away myself because I'm so worried that the dressing room attendant will think I wasted their time. I don't want to seem like a cheapskate. Sometimes I'm like, if I if I give back all the items, are they going to think I shoplifted? I, I accuse and play out scenarios of myself constantly being... Uh, caught for crimes I did not commit. I don't even like the hypothetical thought of somebody thinking I committed a crime. And the thing is, I'll try on like heaps of clothes and buy absolutely nothing because it's so, I don't like a lot of stuff clothing wise. And I hate trying on clothes. So I only want to do this in one swoop. I, I do not swap sizes. If I don't get it the first time, I'm not going back out. That's an uncomfortable thing too, is like when they only let you bring in seven and then you need a thing on the rack, but you're, then you, you either have to go out in a new outfit from the store to go get your other items. And then it's like fashion show, fashion show, fashion show at lunch. You know, like I don't want, I don't want commentary. I don't want your two cents. I don't want your input. I don't want you telling me to turn around. I don't want to look in a trifold mirror. I just want to be left alone. Um, and I just feel like it draws a lot of attention to myself and it's embarrassing for no reason when people in the dressing room can see me in like a new tags on outfit. But then it's like I putting back on your regular clothes to then take them off and try on more clothes is so annoying. And I just want to cut out the middleman. And I really wish there was a better methodology and or people would just let you take back what you want. Honestly, I, I won't even try stuff on if it's like a seven item limit. I think that's insanity. I also think it's insanity that there isn't some sort of private system where you can tell the attendant if they ever check on you, which they really don't anymore. Again, it's been a year since I've shopped. Uh if you want a different size, but you have to like shout it from the rooftops and I can hear what everybody's exchanging sizes for. And I don't really care, but for some reason it's like a little bit weird. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of like being at a pharmacy and they're like, oh, is this for the blah, blah. And you're like, Jesus, pipe down. I'm here to get meth. Sure. But like, you don't need to be blowing my cover of all the other medications I'm here for. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, let's see. Windshield, okay, everybody said windshield wiper speed. And I, this is, I don't drive a lot. So this is not something I understand, but apparently it's awkward if you feel like your wipers are going disproportionately fast or slow to the level of precipitation. <laughs> that made me laugh. Uh, taking off your socks before yoga class. I agree. Anything that makes me use a cubby as a grown woman is a source of discomfort for me. Cubbies are very elementary school. It's like calling an adult chair cushion a sit-upon or like, you know, a, a roll of silverware, a mess kit. It's like, you uh, <laughs> don't need cubby. Trying to go through a buffet line. I mean, yeah. Do we think buffets are over? Or will they thrive? Because like my sister with the MLM, she briefly joined. And when they had to go around and say all their favorite parts of the retreat at a CC's Pizza... I mean, leave it to an MLM to make you pay your own way to go to a retreat to learn to sell their products and then require your attendance at a CC's Pizza, where then you have to do group bonding activities. Like, what a nightmare, tip to tail. But yeah, I, I do think buffets are weird. My my selections are often weird. Um, I, I love food service ranch, like plain run-of-the-mill from a powder packet, buttermilk, sour cream, mayo heavy, hopefully dilly if they know what's good for them. Like, you don't need to hear me go into it. I talked about this in the aioli spirit, but there's something about food service ranch that there's an inverse relationship. Um, the, the more low end the restaurant, the better their ranch typically is. I don't know why some of the nicer establishments seem to phone it in or, you know, resort to a Ken's, but 
I don't make the rules. Uh, but yeah, trying to be a lady at the ranch ladle is some of my best acting work, if you ask me. Uh, somebody said sliding in between two tables at dinner. And uh, yes, a banquet is a, a banquet is a vibe killer. And in general, I find the nuances of bank etiquette to be hard to navigate, not only from when you arrive uh, to who gets to sit on the cushier side. I feel like I used to dance around this in my youth more so. Obviously, I want the booth. Obviously, I want to look out on the horizon and not face the wall. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a lady. I'm a good friend. I, I think now it's more of a function of whoever gets there first. And spoiler alert, it's never me. What I mean, though, about my earlier comment, uh, my I hate table butts. And this is a piece of bank etiquette that is really not the fault of the patron, but more so the restaurant. Not now because of COVID, but back in the day, a lot of restaurants would line up that booth with so many two tops. And when you have to slide in between two tables to get to your booth seat, Next to people that are already dining in such close quarters, you are a part of each other's conversation and, you know, inadvertently participating in communal dining. Uh, You know, depending on the height of the table, your butt grazes the top, uh, does a light brush. And that's what I call a table butt. It's so uncomfortable. You have to figure out the same thing as concert or theater seating. Do you go ass first or face first? Do you make eye contact or do you want your like, you know, it's very like in bare assing like it that's exactly what it feels like is you're just like bearing your ass in front of people that are trying to eat food and it just feels wrong when you aren't sure if you should ring the bell or walk in at a party oh gosh i agree or if it's in the backyard or in the front and this is especially tough in the city like the amount of times i've been stranded in the cold trying to buzz in in the per- it's too loud because obviously i'm typically late uh, and I get there when it's like already bumping and people are already kind of drunk. So then they like really aggressively greet me and I'm not forced to have to go into the party empty, feel like all eyes are on me and then carefully, you know, make a lap that makes sense. But I can't, you know, I don't want to run into too many people before I get a drink first. But then I don't want to talk to somebody and be like, hold on, can I get back to you once I've had a drink because I need alcohol to have fun? Because like, that's not it. I just want to get the drink first. It's very tricky. Um, and you should greet the host first, let's be honest, but sometimes they're far back in like, you know, the kitchen corner. And I just am going to have to explain to way too many people what I do for a living before I ever get there. Um, cause my friends love to be like, Kate, tell them about your job to like mess with me. And it's frustrating. <laughs> um, waiting at the bar for your to go order. Oh yeah. I, I never know how close I'm allowed to stand to that. The part of the bar where the, the waiter makes um the cocktails for the servers right it's like there's not a bar stool there there's the rubber thing there and the servers come to get drinks there but typically they tell you to wait for your to-go order like at the bar but if the bar's full or you're trying to stay away from people or like generally be out of the way because i just operate from a place of i'm always in the way um i'll hover around that like rubber countertop you know that rubber thing with the holes in it that's on the that's on the bar top toward the, the wall I hover around there. We, the, the, we, you know, servers will ask me like 12 times if I've been helped um, or I feel like they think that I don't know that I'm in the way, which like I do, but I just am trying to be the least in the way. Um, and I just also, you know how when, if you're at a restaurant and there's like something annoying going on, you always kind of, you know, want the staff to like sense that you just like get it because you've worked in service before. Um, 
I always want to be like on their team, you know, and I just want to exude that. And it's hard when I feel like I'm blocking the uh, cocktail rubber. What is it called? <laughs> Does it have a name? Um, taking a sample from the sample guide to mall food court. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because uh, you go for the biggest one, right? Like, I don't, I'm not gonna, you know, breeze past an Auntie Anne's pretzel sample guy and not pick out the most large, fluffy pretzel with ample salt. My God. And sometimes you have to navigate around the cinnamon sugars to get to the salt. Sometimes I do want a cinnamon sugar. Um, but the embarrassing part is trying to like elegantly direct your hand toward the largest piece, despite it not being in the closest proximity to your body, you know? It's the same thing with um, cocktails and like champagne flutes and wine glasses. You know what wedding uh, cocktail hours people come around with trays that just have red wine, white wine or champagne or whatever. I'm always trying to go for the f fullest pour because they're always totally there. There's the variation is unbelievable almost. Uh, and it's hard to direct your hand toward the fullest pour without being obvious. It, the best thing you can do is make light conversation and make eye contact so they don't go to the tray. But the other thing is I've served at banquets and weddings and I, I don't know. I loved paying attention. That's what makes the job entertaining. So who cares what they think of you? God, I could do these for so long. I'm also doing the thing where I talk really fast and say like a lot because I'm exploring thoughts out loud about really specific things. <laughs> Before our discussion last week, I'm trying to care less what people say about speech because I don't know. It's it's assume me for talking colloquially to my gal pals, you know? Uh, I've uh, sometimes I feel like when I get in my wordy platitudes and my vocab words, it's like more off-putting than saying like too much. Trying to guess somebody else's Starbucks or, oh, this is, <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah, because like you ask them if they want anything, it takes them a while to respond. You need to figure it out ASAP. You don't know what's better to show up empty-handed or to guess their order. And then the black coffee drinkers are very proud. They really want you to know they drink black coffee. Like, and I don't know why it matters in this life if I use cream and sugar, but my husband's a pretentious black coffee drinker. And it's just, you know, if somebody got that for me, I'd be like, cool, thanks. And I would sip it, you know, tentatively. But it's also embarrassing for me in like a corporate setting or when I'm trying to be an adult to be like, could I have a white chocolate mocha? <laughs> just, which I, I freaking love a WCM. Eating past hors d'oeuvres, yeah, I especially hate eating stuff on a skewer. It's like, I feel like creepy gnawing with my teeth. Like, <laughs> I don't know, you know? It's like to talk to somebody and also be like corn on the cob style, gnawing at a chicken kebab, like, a, you know, angry dog showing off your chompers. I'm just not a fan. And every time I'm at a wedding or a cocktail function... I think we all think to ourselves, a la Joey Tribbiani poking that thing in the milk carton, like, there's got to be a better way. How am I supposed to be here in formal wear, hold a glass of wine that I can drink in a steady stream enough so I start to have fun, no offense to your occasion, but, you know, conversation often starts stiff. Uptown funk playing is really what gets people loose. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I, I, won't go out, I won't go on a wedding music tangent. Um... But like holding a glass of wine, trying to drink a steady stream, trying to eat food on a plate, some that requires a fork, some that's just super chomper forward. Uh, like I know people have tried to make trays that hold drink. It just it's it never seems straightforward. And it's like the when the high top tables are are, are sparse. It it I don't know. It it just is a situation that seems like it should work 
more smoothly and people put so much effort into all these small details except the actual user experience of eating and drinking while standing up. Getting something out of your carry-on on a plane. Yes. Oh, and I'm a, I like really love a window seat on a flight that's over an hour and a half because I want somewhere to lean my head up against. I might change that in COVID times, honestly. Uh, so if you have to get something out of the overhead compartment, you're making a scene. Now I just, I think through everything I want to have like on my lap at takeoff. And if it's, you know, a little too much and a stickler of a flight attendant may not, you know, tell me I need to put it under the seat, I'll just put my coat over it and it's usually fine. Um, but I also just think there's so many things about airports that are just awkward for no reason. And they're kind of unsolvable. Like why on earth you feel so guilty and awkward and bad when you can't get your bag in the overhead bin and you're fiddling with it and you're holding up the line. It's like the plane's not going anywhere. You have time and everyone has to do this. So why is everybody acting annoyed by you? I also think it is a special level of rude, unless you have a connection you're about to miss, to bolt ahead of people that are ready to get out of their seats as if you have the right of way. It's just, I feel like people have lost, you know, lost a sense of humanity. <laughs> um, wearing a helmet, safety shouldn't be uncool. I agree. I, as a kid, I thought wearing a helmet was so embarrassing and it's such a problem. I've literally not been in a situation where I need to wear a helmet in years. Maybe the last time I skied. Um, I think I think three years ago I, I went skiing with Greg's family and I've kept the lift pass on my main winter coat the entire time but it's a it's a lift pass that I took to go up to eat lunch and it says lunch pass <laughs> and sometimes I wonder if anybody who's ever like near me and read it up close like if you have a you have a one single one way ski lift pass for lunch from 2018 still on your coat. <laughs> Taking a bite out of a huge sandwich. I think this has become a problem, especially in this era where we really piled ingredients on toasts, on burgers, uh, where like artisanal sandwiches are all the rage. They're just like super stuffed. I, I, I even will argue a classic club's a bit much for the old mandible. I I, I don't know. I, it's it's kind of same with sushi rolls. It's just like a mouthful. And I struggle when eating to pace my chewing and bites in between when I think there'll be lulls in the conversation. And sometimes I barely eat to avoid said lulls. And then I will ask the other person a pointed, open-ended, semi-difficult to answer question, and then dive right in immediately after I finish the last word, knowing that it's going to take them a minute to answer. And this gives me time to eat. Does anybody else think the <laughs> Am I, I sound crazy and erotic, but I'm not. I think I'm just, I, I'm observant. Uh, and I'm very aware of people's like energy. And I don't ever, I really don't like making people uncomfortable or circumstances uncomfortable. And again, that's something I'm projecting onto them. No one ever tells me they're uncomfortable. Oh, someone holding the door for you when you're too far away. Yes. And then you have to like canter. You know, you don't want to like run and be too desperate because it's it's a but it's a polite gesture and you don't want to be like, nah, just shut the door. I would love to have the door held, but now I'm holding them up and they are performing almost a martyr like act where they're going down as it takes me far too long to get to said door. Hopefully they don't mind. But then when people don't hold doors, I'm like, geez, somebody woke up on the wrong side of the pompazon chair. Paying the babysitter after drinking a very reasonable amount of alcohol. Oh, well, yeah, in the episode, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's 10, when Kelly and I read babysitting stories from listeners, 
so many of them were about how uncomfortable it is when the parents come home drunk. And a lot of people were like, when I was 12, I didn't realize that the dad driving me home had been drinking. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I never thought about that. But yes, walking medium amount, medium distances in front of people or in front of groups while they watch. Yes, a medium distance is tough stuff. Uh, It's tough to pace, tough to figure out what to do with your hands. I have a face that I don't, I don't have like a natural, uh, I don't know how to explain it. Um, my face doesn't fall in like a natural cute way. It's like, it's not even the common bit. Like, it is kind of the resting bitch face of it all, but it's also like, I don't know. I just, I don't have an expressionless, uh, default setting. I kind of have to be doing something with my face to not look lost or confused or angry or weird. Um, and this is something I really struggle with is, uh, exuding my sentiment and tone with my facial expression as I walk a medium distance in front of a large group. Again, I seem crazy. Again, these aren't things I think about that much, just in the, just in the moment. Holding up a passerby when you're trying to take a photo in public. Okay, this is uncomfortable if you're the one whose photograph is being taken. I would argue that I actually go out of my way to stop and to be patient and or ask if they want help with a photo because as a person who like part of my life is sharing and taking photos of stuff, I just hate being shamed for it. And I really respect and like when people want to make memories. And I hate that every time somebody's taking a photo or videoing something, people act like they're not present. And I'm like, you know what's present is reliving this moment over and over and over again on my phone. <laughs> not really. Sometimes it is, of course, like it's important to be present sometimes. I wouldn't like a live stream a baptism. Um, actually, maybe I would, depending on if it was in the, one of those Mormon basements where they baptize the dead. They, they like own all of Ancestry.com, apparently. And they do a ton of baptizing of um, like deceased ancestors to make sure they'll all be like in what, whatever it is, like the eternal heaven with them. Like, what? And they have the youngsters do the baptisms. Like, stay, it's called baptism by proxy. It's really interesting. Look it up. Oh my gosh, did you guys read Rachel Parcell's Dirty 30 blog post? What a thrill. You know, it's, I'm segueing to an ad and BetterHelp asks me, you know, what interferes with your happiness? And I'm like, man, I guess everything. (laughs) From getting fajitas for attention to uh, suffering while getting out of a pool. I have a few things to talk to a therapist about, but that's what's great about BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a fantastic company that assesses your needs and matches you with your own licensed professional therapist in a safe and private online environment, which makes it incredibly convenient. You can start communicating in under 24 hours, and this isn't like self-help. It's legitimate professional counseling. And what's great about the digital piece, not only kind of lowering the barrier to entry and you're, you know, allowing you to be comfortable in your own space while maybe trying out something new, but also being able to send messages to your counselor anytime and get timely and thoughtful responses. And you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, whatever you want, all without ever having to sit in an uh, uncomfortable waiting room. They're very committed to uh, facilitating the right match. So it's easy and free to change counselors if needed. And uh, there's so I mean, there's such a range of expertise, which I think is great, too, from, you know, talking about your relationships, if you're having sleeping trouble, stress, anxiety, depression, anger, family conflicts, LGBTQ matters, grief, self-esteem, trauma, anything you share is confidential. And I really think this is such an affordable and convenient, but more importantly, professional uh, company that is making it a lot more simple and less daunting to try therapy. 
so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. It's not a crisis line. Uh, I always want to clarify. But if you look at the testimonials on their site, they kind of speak for themselves. Truly, it's it's super easy and super confidential. And you can find the right match for you. So as a listener, if you want to try, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting BetterHelp.com slash in 5 Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash in 5 you know, it's been a minute since I talked about Liquid IV, but I drink it every day and I keep meaning to tell you I'm so jazzed. They have a guava flavor now. I, I, I want to be on the board for guava just like as a fruit. I just think it's so unsung and it's so delicious and it's my favorite Liquid IV flavor. Anyway, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. I get I get very tired throughout the day and especially crash at like three to five. That's kind of peak when I need to be like alert and still working before, you know, my husband gets home and the dog loses its mind and then my attention gets diverted. <laughs> and you probably know Liquid IV from their popular hydration drink mix. They also have this energy multiplier that's an absolute game changer and gives you like a little extra boost. And one stick is like drinking two cups of coffee. And it's an all-natural alternative to processed energy drinks for sustained energy boost throughout the day. I am not alone. According to Liquid IV, half of Americans report that they struggle with daily fatigue and lack of motivation or poor mood, decreased focus. But uh, Energy Multiplier is my perfect 3 p.m. pick-me-up to upgrade my vibe. You know I love science. Very sciencey podcast. Liquid IV cellular transport technology delivers an op- op- optimal ratio of nutrients for more efficient uptake. So the ingredients are clean, which is important, non-GMO, vegan, free of gluten, dairy, and soy. And enhanced rapid absorption into the bloodstream gives you a lasting energy boost fast. And beyond that, they're on a mission to positively change the world. Tug, please. <laughs> Gotta pay the bills, buddy. <laughs> The company has donated over 10 million servings globally in response to COVID-19. All Over 4 million products are being donated to hospitals, first responders, food banks, veterans, and active U.S. military. So you can grab your Energy Liquid IV in bulk nationwide at Costco, or you can get 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code BETHEREIN5 at checkout. That's 25% off anything you order when you use promo code BETHEREIN5 at liquidiv.com. Start fueling your adventures today at liquidiv.com, promo code BETHEREIN5. And try the guava. Uh, yeah, uh, Rachel Parcell, the Parcell Scalas were a big focus of the Mormon Mommy Blogger series because I've followed them for a long time. Um, and I just think that they are kind of this premium example of like aspirational, out of touch wealth and excess, but also. And there's part of me that like feels like I've known them for so long. I have like a soft spot. And I and, and I think too, when people are in really insular worlds, I, I, f- I find there's like an earnestness, even though it's like objectively off-putting at times. It's also like, I really just think they care about like their family and having nice things. And like, that's their life and their world, you know, <laughs> and that's what they share. Um, but I will say, I like when people are more vulnerable and open And Rachel put out her, like, 30th birthday post and talked about using a vibrator. And, like, man, between her and Turtle Creek Lane, it's like, yeah, get yours. Uh, It's nice. It's refreshing to hear people speak, frankly, about these things, especially people that seem a little bit more conservative and or uptight and or a, like, I don't know what the word is for Turtle Creek Lane. It's just, it's almost like 
the the susical the musical of it all is so cartoonish it's almost asexual you know so it's hard it's it's interesting to see people in a different light i'm not that i'm accusing her you know what i mean it's just like uh sexy or scintillating or you know or these are not feelings i feel when i am listening to her talk about the different background stories of those in the bunny community which i think was a huge missed opportunity to highlight possum kingdom what I know people in Texas think is it's, it's commonplace because, like, I guess rich people have houses there. But to an outsider, you have to admit Possum Kingdom is the most comical neighborhood name for a wealthy subdivision as a person who's obsessed with neighborhood names. Um, what was I talking about? Oh, but yeah, I like the article. I mean, any time in, you know, a thousand words we go from Jesus to G spot, sign me up. <laughs> uh, Okay, I promise I'll wrap up. I could literally do this forever. I could go into my magazines for forever. Don't forget, if you want to hear me read from these YM magazines, you can go to patreon.com slash be there in five. Oof, taking off a sweatshirt in public. Yeah, I try not to do that. If I'm wearing a sweatshirt, I'm I'm planning on it anchoring the ensemble. Because uh, it's different than a jacket because, yeah, it's over the head, over the hair. You're not only dealing with, like, static and crazy uh, bedhead, you're also risking uh midriff showcasing which is fine there's nothing wrong with it exposing your midriff just some people are more comfortable than others with theirs i've i i i'm a regular kyle xy i i don't want people to see my belly button and i just it's a funny comfort level thing that i marvel at the teens and their comfort with crop tops and that like they'll wear them you know to go to a sit-down dinner like that's insane to me but like so many two-piece outfits too are like it's like a bra and pants and my my eyes adjust it looks normal i'm like cute outfit but if i was actually wearing that out to a third-party vendor i would feel so exposed but again those are my own issues i need to get past <laughs> my facebook ads after i've been online bra shopping honestly it's it, the, the, that type of ad targeting is so messed up you gotta you gotta open those inco incognito windows when you shop same amazon's tough too because it remembers everything and like sometimes I'm actually looking for a massager, you know, not like a massager. <laughs> Waking up on a group vacation. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. Especially if you're not, it's like, if it's couples too, typically I'm, the, the, the relationship is anchored by one friendship and then the other, you know, it's very rare that it's like two parallel lines of best friends. It's like the wives are friends or the husbands are friends and the other two are like, close-ish but not really share a dressing room close make you a bead lizard close if you will and uh then i'm like putting on mascara and brushing my hair and dry shampooing but also wearing my pajamas so i don't seem like i'm too try hard my other problem with vacations is i for me to relax is to sleep in a little bit and to not be rushed and i think it's awkward to vacation with other people who have very different ideas of fun and or different ideas of like wake up time and what they like to do because if i'm like getting up to watch a sunrise i'm not vacating my life i'm quite literally karate chopping my rem cycle and <laughs> putting myself in a bad mood for the rest of the day because i woke up so early because i naturally just fall asleep later than a lot of people and that's the other thing if i okay so you get up at five good for you i go to bed at two or three I work in late hours. You work in early hours. Are you productive early? I'm productive late. Why are your hours better than mine? Why am I a deadbeat late riser and you're a 
productive, you know, what do they say? Early bird gets the worm. I just don't think it's fair. And uh, I feel like it's uncomfortable when I want to sleep in on a group vacation. And then I feel like it's really uncomfortable when you come outside. And this happens at bachelorette parties a lot where you slept in and you're kind of hungover. And there's always one person who's like in a sports bra and is sweaty, but still looking super cute. And they have like athletic sort of headphones that wrap around your ears. And you're like going to get coffee. And you don't know them that well. And they say something to you that isn't condescending, but sounds condescending coming from somebody sweaty in a sports bra. Uh, like, it's a beautiful day. And you're kind of like, okay, okay, I'm happy for your endorphins, but you don't need to show off that you've been outside, you know? Like, go take a long walk off that short pier you're pointing to. Like, I, I, like I'm sure it's a beautiful day. That's why I'm even up. I'd, I'd sleep till 2 p.m. if I had proper blackout curtains in this Airbnb. I'll, I'll get outside. I'll get ready. I'll be chipper soon. But in this moment, it just is so annoying. And I'm sorry, I know a lot of you run and like, I respect you. And please know, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking from the person's POV, like in the moment, you know, when you're like hungover grumpy and things seem aggressive that just aren't meant to be. Um, <laughs> I just always feel like it's patronizing for some reason to be on group trips and have to compare wake up times because the person who wakes up later, like in my whole life, I've been a late riser and there, there's a special type of embarrassing like walking downstairs in your pajamas and everyone's like dressed for the day or already did something or went on a run or a yoga class or blah 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 and it's like I get it that's fine that's what you like to do I like to sleep in but it's it, it, for late risers experience things that other people don't where you walk into groups that are just like laughing at you they kind of make fun of you make you feel like really bad and lazy even though you again you're on vacation and you're entitled to do what you want to do with your time actually not at a bachelorette party some bachelorette parties are run like a tight ship <laughs> hey, to be fair, I don't go to bachelor parties to relax, uh, but you guys get it. It's just, it's, it's hard to, it's waking up around people you don't know that well is uncomfortable. Walking into a large group of people, you know, who are up in Adam George McFadden. What is that from? Uh, that kind of make you feel silly or lazy. It's, it's just a frustrating byproduct of a, you know, slightly off kilter circadian rhythm. I feel like I'm extra annoying this episode. Um... <laughs> Walking back into the chair with wet hair after a shampoo in the salon and foils in your hair. Yes! I, I cannot believe how many influencers post themselves with, self with foils in their hair. Well, I guess I can believe it because, to be fair, so many of them are like crazy child trafficking conspiracy theorists of the tinfoil hat, you know, the shoe fits, walking it. Uh, but I find it embarrassing to be wearing... I don't know. I just don't like it. I feel very finger in a light socket. I feel very vulnerable. I, I Yeah, I hate walking with my hair wet, as I mentioned earlier, the hat trick of my discomfort, being wet, being exposed, being bent over. <laughs> um, the mark of a natural beauty is looking good wet. You know, I give anybody full credit for that confidence. I just don't have it. Ugh, I'm shuddering, ending a conversation, then walking next to them, or like leaving. You leave someone, you hug, you say your parting words, it takes a long time to get to a goodbye, and then you realize you're going the same direction on the, on the sidewalk. <laughs> Running into someone you used to be besties with but drifted apart from at Target. Ooh, I feel that discomfort. You feel like you make plans to hang out, but you don't want to. Oh, yeah, and they're like, oh my god, we should hang Yeah, the empty plans are a funny thing. This is watching a movie with my husband and a sex scene comes on. Wait, why is that embarrassing with your husband? I mean, I don't want to get into your personal life, but isn't that something you do with him? <laughs> like with your parents, I, maybe. But <laughs> that's funny that you feel embarrassed. I don't want you to. Uh, oh, God, for you to take a tag off. 
I, I actually think something that's embarrassing for no reason, and I've talked about this before, uh, I hate when people ask me if something's new. And I, I'm like, oh, no, I've had it for a while. But it's like the first time I used to, in high school, I'd be like, oh, no, I've always had this. But it was definitely like brands making new when I bought it at Hex, like right before clothes. I used to have a hang up with repeating outfits. Uh, now I wear the same things all the time. But back then, I was at high risk for tag exposure. And that is truly, truly humiliating. Not only from a price point uh, and red clearance sticker standpoint, but also just from, um, I don't know. Like, why is that embarrassing? The, all of these things, I guess. But I just... I'm cringing thinking about the times when I've had a tag on when I want people to take me seriously. But then I'm like, oh, they think that I brought, I bought a new, you know, I, I went to the store specifically for this occasion and got all gussied up just for this. And it's like, no, I didn't. I just, I bought it for something else, but I just didn't take the tag off yet. Cause what if I want to return it and commit a small crime? <laughs> Buying ice. <laughs> That's so true. Why is that weird? <laughs> I also find it confusing because it's always outside of this, like the parameter of the store, like the part you go to when you've already checked out. And I'm like, people could just be stealing ice, you know? So then you have to get the ice and then go around to get back in the store because I don't like to reverse cut through checkout lines. It's kind of weird. <laughs> Chasing something floating off with the wind. I can't explain this, but I kind of think umbrellas are embarrassing. <laughs> it's like, how is preparation embarrassing <laughs> returning clothes to a store carrying them in a different bag from a different store i do try to use the original bag wow you this is the level of detail i love this is like what i live for the unexamined life is not worth living these moments are funny because it's like obviously we would all do anything to interact again and these things don't prevent me from living life and they they just pass and it's almost like my it's normal for there to be so much weirdness in our interactions you know that you just tolerate at a point and it is what it is but it's funny thinking about these things just not really coming into contact with many people it, it's a weird thing where you can curate your inter interactions and think so heavily digitally that you almost forget <laughs> using the word hubby earnestly okay i don't okay okay I, I don't, I know this is going to bother people. I know a lot of people use the word hubby. I, I don't know why it really gets under my skin. Maybe it's because a lot of bloggers, it's very, like, there's two types of people in this world. Again, in addition to the ones that entertain and the ones that observe. Two types of bloggers, rather. There's people that, like, in their bio, like, say what they actually do and who they are. And then there's people who, like, lead with, like, wife to so-and-so, or so-and-so's my hubby, or like wifey. Oh, I struggle with wifey too. It's something about them being a wife, them being a mom, and then what they do, or them loving their hubby and loving their kids, or like a heart next to their hubby's name. They say, like, the word hubby comes up a lot in like Instagram bios. I think that's interesting. Um, I don't care if you use the term colloquially, like it, you, you, it, doesn't, it doesn't bother me meaningfully. I just, I think that the context in which it bothers me oftentimes is, it's used as a way uh, people almost introduce themselves or like they'll tag their hubby in their bio um, and like lead with not who they are fundamentally and what they do and their person, but lead with the titles they're given that uh, are determined by their relationship to others. And I think the nitpicky feminist in me wants us to like, especially if our your vocation involves Instagram, wants us to lead with like, what do we do? What do, who are we? I get that your priority is being a, a wife and a mom, but I also, I'm here for you. What's your vibe? I'm not here for the hubby. 
I'm, I'm very rarely here for the hubby, let's be honest. Like, when there's a husband takeover, swipe in. Right on through. Uh, or when Turtle Creek Lane's son comes, I'm like, nope, I'm good. If you're not here to show me the susical, the musical decorating process, I'm out. Using <laughs> calling adults by the first name. This is something that's so funny because, like, we're adults. And it's not weird when somebody calls you your first name because that's your name. But for some reason, it, 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 in my head still, since my parents were, like, pretty strict about this, or, not strict, but, like, you know, very manners-oriented, and we called people Mr. or Mrs. Um, d- distinguishing between Mrs. and Ms. or Miss as in your youth is also horrifying ordeal because uh, I hate that it's contingent upon if you're married and you're like kind of gauging if somebody it's very strange um, and I hate that I hate that anybody would have to lead with a prefix that labels them based on their marital status that, that volunteers the information in the absence of them needing or wanting it to or it being relevant that's, that's insanity I've actually never really thought about that what's the point of that I guess that's why there Ms. exists but I always thought Ms. was kind of like the hyphenated last name of the prefixes <laughs> I support it, it's in, but in, it just, I don't know. I guess I'm always left wondering, which is it? But again, it doesn't matter. Okay, hyphenated last names are an interesting thing where as a kid, I was always like, upon hearing of somebody with a hyphenated name, you're like, damn, your parents are progressive. But as an adult, I'm like, that makes so much sense. I don't know if I do it. Um, this is my husband has a unique last name. and it's, I don't know, I've had a common name my whole life. And while I like it for Google, because I'm like the 250th most important Kate Kennedy. Um, I I don't know. It'd be cool to have like a more distinct name. But I'm, that's just me talking about the cosmetics of it, like how nice it sounds. Not even like the root of it, which my point is a hyphenated last name. Like that's super cool. Because yeah, like the mother's carrying it for the love of God. It's so it, it's always been hard for me to understand why your name is supposed to go by the wayside entirely. Uh, but alas, can't get into that right now. The way a crossbody purse cuts between your boobs, yes. <laughs> oh my god, 100%. <laughs> so uncomfortable. Oh my god, I've been talking about these for- are you guys bored? Oh my gosh, I gotta stop. I just, but they're, they never end. You guys submitted so many of these, and they're so good. When you're at a salon and they ask you if you want water or coffee or tea, totally. Even worse, though, when I know that they offer wine and they're not offering it to me. And it's like after 5 p.m. or it's not, whatever. But like it takes, if you have a thick head of hair, like it, highlights are excruciatingly long. I, I can't, I hate getting my hair highlighted because um, it just feels like such a time suck. Uh, and it would be more fun with an adult beverage, but sometimes they don't really offer it, almost assuming like you need to ask me to see other ladies with wine. And I'm like, come on, uh, just because I'm by myself doesn't mean I want, don't want to drink. It's, I think maybe usually it's reserved for like gal pals that are, you know, having a mimosa brunch. But like, I don't know, I, I want a pinotage with my balayage, so sue me. A tickle in your throat at the start of an exam. Oh, totally. I mean, I haven't had an exam in a long time, um, but ever since COVID, if I'm overthinking it, I'll get a phantom tickle. Because it's like if I, you know, at a point I started taking Ubers again because they put up shields and had all this protocol and I don't have a car, so I don't have a choice and whatever. And like I'm so conscious of their boundaries and wanting to be a good pa- passenger um, that I will over like I'll think about it so much that I'll have it. I'll, I'll have the insane urge to cough and like coughing just isn't the same as it once was. Hiding your underwear and your jeans at your annual doctor's appointment. <laughs> I always think about that. I'm like, why? This is the only time I'd maybe want a cubby, but then, ew, I don't want. 
then you have to stay, like sanitize the cubby. But it's like nobody's sanitizing that the folding chair where you put your stuff down. Like, why is there nowhere to put it? It is it's very, very weird. Same with if you ever go full nude at a spray tan, which I don't do very often anymore. But when I was younger, I was brazen. I like I, I was like, I can't have tan lines. It's ridiculous. Now I don't care. I guess maybe like a wax would be a better example. Changing directions in the middle of the sidewalk. Yeah, if I if realize I'm going the wrong way, I will walk to the corner probably do a quick panoramic and then either go across the street to turn around or kind of like do it slowly and purposefully so there's a full turnover of the people around me <laughs> what are we doing <laughs> i love this something something that's embarrassing for no reason is when you've guests over and your home looks like you actually might live in it yeah like why why do things have to be pristine I'm such a rose because <laughs> we all know I mean I guess some people are pristinely clean but I am not and I'm very self-conscious about it and honestly I probably take more OOTDs and fun stuff in front of like mirrors but I never feel like cleaning up in the background <laughs> and I feel like I see so much of the way people nitpick it like the smallest thing bloggers do and I'm like it's just not worth it when you walk into a store you don't know is you don't know when it's very expensive, but you still browse and try something on. I know that is so uncomfortable because you know that happens a million times a day and they can sniff it out whether you try something on or not. And the charade of <laughs> of trying on like a, you know, $350 silk blouse that I'm never going to. It's so ridiculous. Half the time I don't even try it on. I just pretend. Um, but also these are things I used to do that I don't think I'd do anymore. Again, I don't go into stores much. But I always feel this way in intermix. I'm, I always see stuff in the window and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so cute. But then it's like, I don't know, this chambray shirts for some reason made by Givenchy. I'm like, what, why would I spend $600 on this button down that still buckles in between boobs? Because nobody has figured that out yet. Yeah, asking if you should take your shoes off or leave them on. My thing with that, too, is that sometimes people are like, whatever you want. And I'm like, do not put this ball in my court. Like, this is your home. I need you to tell me definitively what your preference is. And I will comply. I might not like it, but I will comply. What I hate is when you are trying to operate against somebody else's rules. They are making themselves sound flexible, but they are not. And then you breaking those rules still uh, produces consequence in their head without them realizing that you are unknowingly breaking it because you didn't communicate your needs just tell me exactly what you want me to do you know i need to cut myself off returning anything oh my god i hate returning stuff that's another example of where i feel like i'm going to be accused of a crime i didn't commit my problem is and i don't do this with shoes but sometimes like i'll put on a shirt i'll wear it around a little while or like i'll put on jeans i'll work in them and then i don't realize i don't like them until i am introduced to their function you know, and then they're not really functional or not looking or wearing the way I want them to. This is how I feel with every pair of jeans that I love when I try on is really bad about bagging out to a degree where no matter how many times you put them in the dryer, they just never get that original shape back. And that drives me nuts. Um, so tags are still on. They're still fresh. They're maybe worn for like 10, 20 minutes. But I still feel like I've, I've committed some sort of fraud. And I'm here pretending like these are jeans that have never been worn. When they've they've been lightly worn, but not I don't have an agenda. I, I didn't take a picture of them. If a new outfit is worn in the woods and your crush didn't see it, like it didn't happen, uh, in my case, I guess it would be photos because if I don't like post a photo in it, but like I don't even really do that anyway. I think I've said this before. It is a weird phenomenon that like I'm not a fashion blogger and I don't. I'll, I'll do swipe up sometimes, um, but for stuff like typically on Amazon or like Sephora or stuff I really use and, and like 
and or get DMs about because I know people give influencers a hard time for everybody asks me about but I don't think people like it, it's totally fair because when you get a certain amount of DMs about something it's easier to just like address it because what happens is you know you're going to get flooded with that same message over the next 24 hour period unless you clarify it um so it, even though it seems like self-indulgent like a lie it's actually I mean it's not it's not the craziest thing to try to uh kill two birds you know I also just think a lot of like parodying influencers teeters on sexist but that's for another day uh i like to snark on influencer behavior but i think on snarking on the like the way they act and talk is something i really don't like um and i'm sure i've done it before mind you i'm evolving but i also think there's this meta thing right like i i comment on influencers a lot but then like when you do that and you get a following or you have a thing like a podcast and you do ads and stuff, you're doing the exact same thing. And then it's at a point, it's like ridiculous to dog on people who are doing the same thing you're doing, you know? Um, it's just, I have a, I don't know. I feel like at a point it's just kind of like rude. Uh, I mean, trust me, I like to talk about like behavior and funny things and like, you know, vibrator articles, but making fun of things like swiping up and, uh, a lot of you are asking me about XYZ, but it's like, well, that truly people are doing that for a reason, right? Uh, it, it makes sense. And I just think it's like sexist at a point to constantly be making fun of voices and the way people act and whatever. Uh, but also, what was I saying earlier? Oh, yeah, it's just awkward because like most of my clothes are from like 2016 H&M. And then people are like, swipe up. And I'm like flattered, but also I'm like a little embarrassed. <laughs> Not that I should be embarrassed that I wear older clothes. I think that's normal. It's like probably weirder to wear constant new stuff. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a funny phenomenon. I just feel inadequate as like a online person. But anyway, you guys, I'm going to go watch more episodes of Are You For The Dark. I watched the one where Tia and or Tamara Mowry turns into a lizard. That one was horrifying. Remember she got bit at a pet store? Oof. Scary stuff. Anyway, you guys, uh, make sure to buy tickets for my live show on locationlive.com slash be there in five. It's going to be so much fun. That's the only way you'll probably get a mat or a merge if you want it. Just because I don't know what quantity wise we're dealing with now that we have a new provider. And also it's just like going to be fun. And I do more embarrassing, higher risk stuff there because I assume if you're paying, you like me and you'll enjoy it, even if it's lame. <laughs> uh and i don't know i'm just like excited so i hope you'll join patreon.com slash be there in five for bonus episodes uh rate and review five stars if you are interested that'd be chill and uh oh yeah i did a get ready with me on patreon last week that was kind of fun where i kind of talked about and complained about the minutiae going on in my life and it felt good it kind of felt like old times i think sometimes it, i get in my head about i don't know you know criticism and not wanting to complain and no one cares and blah, blah, blah. But it's sometimes it's nice to just be able to share, you know, when it's not topically interesting for the main podcast. Uh, but otherwise, share with a friend if you like this episode. I would love it so much. Other than that, just keep being you. Hope you have a great week. I hope that you, uh, you know, don't overthink these small, awkward, embarrassing interactions. And above all else, I think we're so excited to one day, hopefully soon, be able to interact with each other uncomfortably once again, because uh, I miss these moments. I really do. Just like Brad Paisley said, I live for little moments like that. God, I really don't like Brad Paisley. Mud on the tires is predatory, and I stand by that. Uh, love you guys so much. Thanks for listening. And as always... 
Let me know your thoughts and I'll let you know mine. I'll be there in five, I swear.